This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Salutations, everybody. It is Maddie here today, and welcome to episode 287 of the Ham Radio Podcast. And guess what? You're with me again this week. No Carrick, no Dustin. Two weeks in a row. So let me explain what happened. This Friday was absolute chaos. Actually, the whole week was just complete chaos. So if I sound a little tired, just know that's why. Uh, I'm a little just run down and I'm looking forward to this weekend just to relax. I'm sitting here in my bathrobe right now. So this is pretty fire. Not going to lie. Podcasting in a bathrobe. This is my first time. Uh, so that's also why there's no real video version. You'll just have a moving version of our thumbnail for this episode because originally I was not going to be on uh, this week's podcast because I had a doctor's appointment that I had to go to just for post-COVID stuff uh, to get that looked at. And I asked Carrick and Dustin if they could handle this week's episode. And they were like, yeah, we'll make sure. We're, we're just going to check a couple of things. Uh, and because of something with an ad with sacred symbols, Dustin was unable to. And then uh, something with Carrick's dog happened. So um, I just told them, no worries. I'll just come home and do a solo episode. So here we are today. It's just us. And I'm not too upset about that. Based off the feedback of our last podcast episode, a lot of you really liked the solo episode. It was a nice change of pace. And I do understand those of you who like when... And Carrick and Dustin are on because I think we all balance each other out really well. And I think it makes our show great because, you know, instead of just hearing one person's thoughts, um, we're all kind of attacking each other pretty much. Uh, but, you know, it's just me this time around, and that means there's a little more of a relaxed vibe, right? You know, there's there's video Maddie who's in your face. There's podcast solo Maddie who's very relaxed, very chill. This is how you'd probably get into a conversation with me. You'd hear this type of tone. Then there's group podcast Maddie who's laughing the whole time because I'm just happy to be with my, uh, happy to be with my friends. Uh, and so, yeah, there's lots of versions of Maddie you're going to get today. It's chill, Maddie. But it seems a lot of you really like that, found it soothing, found it calming. So I guess it's my pleasure to provide that. Uh, so as always, I like to let everyone know right off the bat that if you want to support this show, you like what you're listening to, you want to support the channel as well, uh, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash plays. If you sign up for a buck, you get early access to this podcast like over 350 of you do now. Uh, that is our highest patron count yet, uh, right as the new year uh, had had begun we had surpassed 300, and, and we continue to grow. Uh, so thank you all so much for signing up and uh, believing in the in the content cycle we have here. We've created a little bit more of a, a healthier rotation um, where I am going to continue to do our supplemental show, which is exclusive to patrons called Extra Slice of Ham. Uh, I did that every week for a while, and some weeks I'll do it twice in a row, for example, but I'm going to rotate that with patron-exclusive videos um, just to make sure that I can stay healthy. I, I really, I think, played with fire at the end of last year. So just to make sure that, you know, the, the, the videos going out publicly on the channel to most of the audience is doing good and, and, and I'm fresh for that, plus the bonus Patreon content, which then eventually will go public, like with a bunch of videos I made towards the end of December, um, or I'm sorry, uploaded towards the end of December. They were like made starting in August and September. So for those of you who are signing up, your exclusivity to the content lasts a decent amount of time for you to see it. Plenty of times. Um, but yeah, 
For those of you who want to support the show, support the channel, that is available there for you. I do have a request, though. Uh, I think a more important request, because most of you know I have a Patreon. A lot of you have been signing up. Uh, But I was looking at some of our Apple Podcast reviews, because um, we've been pushing Defining Duke a lot. Our Xbox show, it's myself and Carrick of ACG, who also co-hosts here on this show. Uh, And we've been getting really, really good feedback. And uh, that show already has more ratings in four episodes well fourth episode hasn't gone live it'll be live as you all hear this publicly but at the time i'm recording this it hasn't gone live yet so three episodes and we have already more ratings in the ham radio podcast um and we have a way bigger audience for podcasting to kind of dip into with uh with with last stand media um but i was looking at some of our podcast reviews here for the ham radio podcast and what I realized is a lot of them were reviewed when it was me, Lone, and Noah. Since then, we've only had, and this is kind of crazy to think about, we've only had like one review uh, come up from the modern set. And it was a five-star review. And so I just want to ask all of you out there, it would really mean a lot if you went out, five-starred it, if you think it's worthy of that, and dropped a review for the podcast on how it is nowadays. Um, the reason I asked this is because I explained this on Defining Duke it makes a big difference. Like if you are unable to support the show through a Patreon, and I'm sorry to load up the first five minutes with self promo here, but it's a solo show, so you're gonna get a, a little bit of rambling early on. Uh, but if you can't support via Patreon, or, or and you're looking for free ways to support, uh, reviews go a very long way on these podcasting apps, especially because ours has been dormant for a while. So if we see a spike. Uh, that'll push our show up. We're trying to push the audio version more. We know a couple thousand of you already listen to our podcast episodes. We average about 2,000 on audio platforms, and then we have about ten to 15,000 of you now weekly listening to the Ham Radio podcast. Last week, video-wise, was a little bit low because I got the video version up late because uh, KOTOR Rumors, baby, got a little bit to talk about with that uh, in this episode, we'll kind of expand our thoughts on that. But yeah, just a little request from me to you. Uh, I would really appreciate if we uh, push the show on the mobile end a little bit more. And we're doing our best making sure that it's there every single week. There was a bit of a technical hiccup um, with the back end where um, we weren't getting the episodes on Spotify. Like They went up until January 10th. So for those who do listen on mobile, do know that that should be amended over uh, the next couple of days to a week Um, I'm currently working on that now with the person who handles our tech stuff, Ben. So I would really appreciate that. But enough of this bullshit. Let's talk about what we're playing. Let's get into the important part, the video games. All right. So with that, what have I been playing this week? Well, I played the medium. I have a review up on my channel, which you can check out in full. Uh, If you are looking for a discussion between Carrick and I, I'm not trying to segment content, by the way. We would have had this discussion here on the show. But since... Carrick is not here, and we were unable to do that. Undefining Duke, him and I talk about the medium. Uh, so if you want to hear his thoughts, were him and I were pretty much identical. It was kind of interesting. Normally, Carrick and I are on the same page to some extent, but when I watched his review, it was like listening to myself as I took my notes when I played the game. Uh, but yeah, me and him agreed. Uh, this game was... Uh, pretty average in a lot of ways. So that was kind of the main game I played this week. I went back to Hitman 3. Uh, like I said, 30 hours and just five maps. Um, I had to dip out of Hitman 3 for a little bit, of course, to review the medium. But I'm getting back into that. I played like an hour the other night. I was very tired because, um, you know, we we overhauled the office, the backdrop. So I admittedly haven't gamed as much uh, because I've been getting home really late uh, because we've been working and working and working. Uh, so... 
now it's time to just kind of enjoy the fruits of our labor, and that's why this episode's going to be a little more relaxed. Um, but anyway, yeah, so playing the medium, uh, I got a review copy um, a couple of days before launch, I think three days before launch. It's an eight to ten hour game. It's described as a third person psychological horror game or thriller. Um, and, and let me start off by saying that uh, it's not a horror game. It, it would probably fall more in line with um, trying to creep you out than, um, than, than, than trying to scare you. But even there, I don't think it successfully does that. I never felt uncomfortable or off-put by anything that was occurring. Uh, there was one time there was a very cheap jump scare, like a surprise with loud noise, uh, where it popped up right in the character's face. And it'll probably get most of you a little jump. Uh, but it wasn't like the legitimate uh, type of horror and tension that games before it had uh, built and that it tried to clearly take inspiration from. So the medium is a Xbox Series X and S console exclusive. Um, this means that they dropped the Xbox One support for this game because they could not do uh, what they had set out to do um, on the older hardware. And I respect this a lot. I want to start off by talking some positives. I respect this a lot because guess what? CD project red did not do this. A lot of companies are not going to do this. I respect the medium who's already fighting an uphill battle as a horror styled game. At least it was marketed as a horror game. Um, I respect the hell out of them staying true to their vision. Even if I don't think, uh, the end product was all that great. Um, I respect that they went for what they tried their best to make. Um, a lot of companies are not going to do that, and we've already seen have not done that. So yeah, I, I, I think that's really good of them to do that, and I hope they stick to their guns in the future. Uh, but yeah, it is a console exclusive. It's also available on PC. It's on Game Pass, so if you want to give it a shot through there, you could. But what I said in my review was you could get a whole library's worth before you hop into the medium because the issue here with the medium is since it's not building tension, since it's not building any scares, frights, uh, anything like that. And by the way, I saw someone before I get into that, I saw someone try to tell me like this game just wasn't for you. I that's the thing with reviewing games, man. People just fucking project and and they and they try to like tell you why your opinion's wrong. It's like, look, dude, if you're still interested after I tell you the game's not worth it, that that's fine. My word is not law. I don't care. Like I'm just telling you my opinion for those who care and who want to check out maybe skill ups review or character review or the press's review. Like you want to check those out afterwards. You got mine in the bunch. I'm happy yet you listen to me. That's all I care about. If if you know I'm not telling you, hey, this is what you've got to do. All right. You know, what kind of review is that? Uh, but someone was like, you know, this this type of genre isn't for you. And I'm like, I've played Outlast. You know, I love the older Resident Evil games. Resident Evil 2 Remake. I thought that was a great horror game, you know, the, especially during, uh, was it Claire? Claire is the, the, the woman you play as, I believe. Because um, I'm mixing her up with Jill. So I apologize if I'm if I'm making a big Resident Evil faux pas. Uh, but, you know, that game, I just, I adored, man. I kind of regret not putting that in like a top five list of mine because the more I think about it, I'm like, that was such a good game. And I remember being chased around and and just feeling the 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 absolute intensity of like Mr. X bearing down on you. You could barely get away in time and and with all the right updates. So, I've played a lot of horror games before and I really really enjoy them. In fact, survival horror I would say is one of my favorite genres. It's I got to speak out more on things I like outside of RPGs because I think a lot of people think I don't have I don't play other games. For those of you who pay attention, you know I do. 
Um, you know, I play pretty much everything except puzzle games, but I don't talk about how much I love Mega Man. I don't t- talk about how much I adore the survival horror genre. Um, and, and so I'm going to start to, over time, put that out there. I, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to start making Resident Evil news videos, but more so letting people know other genres I dig. Because I am 100% an RPG guy, but uh, it does go a little bit beyond that. A little bit, a lot of bit beyond that. I've, you know, side-scrollers, man. Mm. Mm, I can't wait to play some Cyber Shadow this weekend. That game looks good. Uh, but where was I? Right. So um, I've played these types of horror games before, so it's not that it wasn't for me. Uh, but the issue is that uh, the medium's really lacking gameplay. So as you're going through playing as Marianne, who is, as the title suggests, a medium, uh, you're helping spirits pass over into the spirit world, right? They're kind of stuck in limbo, and you're doing different, I say this very lightly, gameplay objectives, because there's... It's more like objectives. There's no gameplay. Um, And when you complete these objectives, um, they will pass on. And it kind of builds the story in the universe, which is solid. I I thought that was solid enough to to keep my interest. Nothing amazing. Nothing you have to experience. But it was solid enough um, where if there was some good gameplay there, I think it would have really rounded out the package. The issue here, uh, as I've said in my review and on Defining Duke, is there is quite literally nothing. Um, there is a section of gameplay I had when I was editing my review because I tend to edit most of them, um, just due to the fact that I don't want to spoil something for my editors. Um, but when I was going through my footage, there was a point I was clicking through and realized I had a half hour where I was just walking straight. And when you combine that with there being an achievement called running simulator, uh, it seems pretty self-aware that the developer knew what kind of game they had. Um, and I think when they really relied heavily on puzzles, which could have been fine, uh, there's no diversity in their puzzle design. Uh, it's just about flipping back and forth between the real world and the spirit world. Um, and maybe in the spirit world, you you activate like an electrical box and that'll unlock a door. So now in the real world, you can go through that. Sounds cool, right? But those are that's the only gimmick. It's that and you get a spirit shield where you can walk through moths that would normally kill you. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's cool in the sense that, hey, you have no weapons and you're just walking around. Uh, there is something there, you know, that some of the art design and the aesthetic of the game is nice. Um, but the issue is that I feel since they're leaning heavily into puzzles, not expanding the tool set the player has really hurts the game. Um, that's where the best puzzle, puzzle games lie, right? You know, think of Jedi Fallen Order. I don't think it's one of the best puzzle games ever, but its puzzles worked because you got multiple force powers and tools so you could go to other planets and do other things and unlock things that you you normally wouldn't have been able to have access to. And that type of stuff was awesome. Not that I wanted some Metroidvania experience, by the way, but I'm saying that the general idea, I think, of games based around puzzles or having puzzles within them is that you expand that tool set so you're not just using the same problem-solving methods. I mean, hey, everyone fucking hates homework for a reason, right? Because you do 18 of the same question over and over. I remember math class, right? Here's 40 long division problems. Third grade Maddie was crying up a storm. So fuck that, you know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, the medium has a long division issue, clearly. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I I liked where it was going. Uh, the story itself, um, it doesn't wrap up as tightly as I think a new IP should. Um, that's just my personal belief there. I feel like when you're starting a new IP, you want to complete that story so that if that's it for that IP, at least there's something sound for the player, the consumer, um, and that you're not leaving strands open for a sequel bait, uh, which this this game does. Um, and that's not a spoiler. Um, but yeah, there's uh, just not enough here, in my opinion. It's eight to ten hours long, like I said. So it is a safe Game Pass game if you really are curious and you want to get in on a new game and or maybe you're looking for free achievements i you know it's kind of like with spider-man ps4 when i reviewed that game 
Um, when I reviewed that, I got almost all of the trophies for Spider-Man um, before it even came out. That's pretty crazy. I've never really had that happen before. I was two trophies away from the Platinum just by playing the game and clearing out the map. Whereas uh, the same thing applied here with the Medium. I had four achievements, five, somewhere in that area um, left after completing the game. It just gives you story achievements, you know, a couple of little side things you can do, like feed a cat. Um, you're like, oh boy, cool. But yeah, the Medium uh, came out, uh, not going to be one we're talking about for a while. Um, I think it'll be something I quickly forget. You know, at the end of every game I beat, I have a notebook and I write down every game I complete because what I like to do at the end of the year is reminisce. And so I'll look at my notebook and I'll see, um, you know, all right, we're making the game of the year list. What exactly uh, would fall into that category? And when I really like a game after beating it, I'll put a little star next to it. Like, hey, this one's, you know, take a look at this when it's the end of the year. Um, of course, you use the the natural human element of what is stuck with me. So you all know last year I didn't shut the hell up about Persona 5 Royal. So, of course, you know, that that's something that will stick with me. And I'm like, yeah, this is my game of the year for sure. There's no doubt. Um, but when it comes to uh, a game like Hitman 3, I definitely put a star next to that because that's the first release in like the first two weeks of the year. Uh, and there's going to be so many more games that we talk about, analyze, break down, discuss. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely... Um, one of those things that's very nice and I would recommend it to anyone, even if you're not doing what I do just to, I know a lot of you are very interested in the conversation. You write in on our Patreon. We have your questions here on the show. Um, and you want to talk about certain games, whenever, um, or round up our, our game of the year discussion, keep track of how many you beat. It's also nice to know how much do I play? Um, there was a year in 2017. I was like obsessed with beating games. I think I beat like 60 some odd games. Um, I got the idea from Andrew Reiner of, of Game Informer because he posted on his uh, on his Twitter that he had beat X amount of games. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to write down when I beat games. That's a pretty cool idea. Um, and it helped inadvertently, like I said, with the Game of the Year conversation. Uh, but anyway, long-winded way of saying I don't think I will be putting a star next to the medium here uh, in, in, in uh, 2021. But... Uh, maybe we return to it as games that have potential and could do a lot more. But even then, it's just yeah, it's boring, man. I use that very sparingly because I know a lot of devs and I know they have passion. And I know some games try to do different things. And I've played, like, say, a, a walking sim, like a uh, Vanishing of Ethan Carter or whatever, where you could argue and really objectively say it is boring as a gameplay experience. But it's the story and there's things happening and there's stimulation there. Uh, whereas uh, with the medium, long stretches of walking, very uh, repetitive puzzle design, and an, an all right universe. Uh, I liked its time period. I kind of thought that was cool. Um, Cold War era, if I remember correctly. Uh, but outside of that, also located in Poland. I forgot to mention that. That That's one other thing that I thought was pretty unique about it. The the Neva Resort, uh, really, really neat stuff. So, yeah, that's about my uh, thoughts on the medium. Uh, when it comes to anything else I've played, yeah, just more Hitman 3. Uh, one of the other goals I have this year on a uh, on a game front, right, is like number one, health. Number two is like stick with them a lot longer. So, um, you know, I, I'm right now I'm not, I'm not being grabbed by Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, I, I really wish I was, um, there's something fun, I guess. Right. But it's just, I, I almost feel like it was overhyped and I don't like that word either. Cause I like game hype. I enjoy game discussion and, and, and excitement because there's a period of time consumers should be excited about something. Uh, but hopping into Fire Emblem Three Houses, like I just haven't felt compelled to go back after 15 hours. Uh, whereas I, I, I really want to stick with hitman three and just 
you know, man, there's so much content here. Like, I'm still playing the Hitman 3 maps. I've only went to Hitman 1 and 2's maps twice just for my own review, just to test the AI to see how the new engine is reflected in those maps and uh, look into them a little bit more. But when it comes to Fire Emblem, yeah, just I, I need to stick with it to finish it because I feel like when the next one comes around, I'm, it's going to at least have my attention. Um, but what I'm seeing with this game, it's just already the kind of school mechanics are getting repetitive. The side missions are are terrible. Uh, and I'm not really interested in any of the characters. So uh, with that, that's pretty much all I've been playing. So now, shall we get into the news? I got to say, I don't, I, I miss the boys, but I feel like because of podcast delays, there's there's often a time where, you know, I'll say, all right, let's move into the news. And as I'm doing that, like, Carrick starts a sentence or, or Dustin starts a sentence. And, it you know, just because of the mic delay, it happens all the time. But on your end, it just sounds like I'm rushing right into the next thing before anyone can say anything else. And it's just like, it feels nice to be like, let's move into the news. And I, I, I don't have to pause or wait. I just roll. Let me take a sip of water. We're going to do this before every single uh, section of the podcast. A little ASMR action. No, I'm kidding. I know some people think it's gross, but man's got to stay hydrated. How do I keep this level of speaking and discussing uh, without a little water in my system? So this episode is powered by water, and it's powered by a grilled chicken sandwich that I had before this. All right. First bit of news. Cyberpunk 2077 official modding tools have been released, and this will pave the way for more complex mods on, of course, the PC version. So the official Cyberpunk 2077 mod support page explains that it will offer official tools and resources that will help you modify and create your own experiences in the world of Cyberpunk 2077. Those tools are currently fairly limited, offering downloads of the game's metadata and two utilities for listing game data and settings. There's nothing just yet that allows modders to easily unpack and edit the game's files, so this should be considered a first step on the road to official mods rather than the beginning of a new influx. CD Projekt Red adds that tools will be continuously updated alongside the game's patches to ensure compatibility. It also ensures, I'm sorry, it also encourages users to read the license agreement before opting to use modding tools, presumably to ensure all users understand the guideline around using third-party software in relation to CD Projekt's own creation. So, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the official website now, uh, metadata archive dump, tweak dump, tweak database IDs. Um, so this is the first step forward here. Uh, it's certainly not the level of complexity, just for those of you who are already getting excited. It is not the level of complexity yet, just now. Uh, it is not the level of complexity of modding that we've seen with, say, the creation engine. It's just not there yet. With future updates and more tools, it, it hopefully can be. Uh, but right now, it is not. I'm very excited about this because I feel like uh, there's certain things, just like with every Bethesda Game Studios game, a lot of people view it as a... Uh, an issue um and there are certain issues like having the unofficial patch for fallout 4 not become an official thing for fallout 4 and then fallout 76 comes out and it has the same things that could have been fixed with that unofficial patch uh not addressed at all after years of development yeah that's really weird and that is one of those situations where bethesda is having their own game fixed by their fans but there's times where people will like carve up the experience, cut out things, switch things, try to do things with the lore. Of course, adding in quests. I mean, a lot of you out there probably come from a Fallout background or have played Fallout or are familiar with Fallout, where you know uh, modding for there, Skyrim, you know, the Elder Scrolls games. Um, it's a pretty prevalent thing. Um, but I love that you're able to just chop up their experience and make it what you want. And I'm 
really curious to see what people do with cyberpunk, especially because both sides need to be voiced. So I don't know if the complexity will reach quest mods, but right now there are PC mods already available for Cyberpunk 2077, like third-person camera stuff, there's bug fixes, uh, there's stuff like that already out in the wild, unofficial at that, but they are already out in the wild. Uh, for me personally, and maybe this is wrong of me, but like I don't look until the official tools are out, I never look into modding. So I remember when Fallout 4 dropped and... A lot of people were like rushing to mod their games and drop files in there. And I don't know, maybe I'm just very old school, but the idea of just dropping all these unsolicited files into my game uh, that have not been verified by like an official site or gone through the official means of, of, um, you know, how they're created or the tool set of of how they're created. The stuff just, just, no, I just back away from it. Um, So now seeing that we have an official mod support page, it's something I'll keep an eye on. you know, it's 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 one of those things that I'm just very curious to see what the community creates: new weapons, uh, new attachments, new role playing options. You know, I suggested new quests, but maybe just new areas to fight enemies. Um, what kind of AI tweaking will there be? Um, this is this is going to be interesting to see because, uh, especially the conversation, right? I mean, can we really talk about that more so than anything? Um, what a turnaround, right? CD Projekt Red, right? Golden child of the industry for a while. That that was pretty apparent. A lot of people like them. A lot of people praise them. And that's fine. They still did some fishy stuff along the way. But um, Golden Child, where uh, Bethesda very often was, was blasted for letting fans fix their game. And so now, uh, I said this on Twitter, I said CD Projekt Red's about to feel that Bethesda energy big time. Uh, really big time. That's all. If these official modding tools really take off, um, it'll be something to see. Here's the thing I'm hoping for, though, because underneath it all, Cyberpunk, I think, is a really great game. I am hoping that they patch everything first and fix it themselves and then allow the modding tools because then it feels like more of a bonus. Right now, the optics suggest, hey, you want to fix something for us? You know, and uh, of course, that would not be good. But uh, with Bethesda, they're already doing the same things, but I just feel like creation is way more customizable and interactable. So it'll be really neat to see uh, a company with their own official modding tools. I'll be totally transparent. I don't pay attention to modding outside of Bethesda games just because I feel like the Bethesda community is something else, man. I mean, just look at Sky Oblivion, right? Like that—that is—that is, that is uh, a marvel to look at. It's wow, they're recreating all of freaking Oblivion um, or Skywind. Uh, beyond Skyrim, just really wild stuff, man. Uh, so mods, uh, can go really far. I'll be very curious to see what people do with the tool sets as they expand. And I'm very curious to see what CD project red does as it expands. But the conversation behind it all, I think will be inherently more interesting because, uh, obviously things have gone sour for CD project red and rightfully so, um, where this could have been something that was very exciting. You know, imagine the game comes out um it's patched a little bit more uh, obviously you know some people still have legitimate issues with their writing or the storytelling characters gameplay what have you fine fair uh but imagine it comes out in a stable manner people are able to just play it to completion and give their thoughts and then this comes out afterwards i think it would be a lot more exciting when i saw this uh, a lot of people were like are you gonna make a video on it i thought to myself no I'm not really interested in just sitting here and, and, and speculating about uh, mods for a whole video, especially in a week where 
KOTOR rumors have picked up and, and Microsoft made a shit ton of profit to really open up a discussion on what's going to happen with Bethesda games. Like they make that much money. Um, and of course the discussion on what happened with fought the frontier, it's just to me just talking about this limited tool set, which is just like metadata stuff. Um, didn't seem high on my, uh, on my hit parade here, but, um, as it stands now, we uh, we have official modding tools for Cyberpunk, and we will monitor them and see how the situation will continue to develop. But for now, let's move on over into the big one, the KOTOR rumor. So probably most of you have uh, seen my videos on this just because you know me. You know I'm not going to just talk about this once. Uh, this broke open the day I was re like redoing my whole office, of course. Uh, so right before we were about to take everything out of the room, I'm talking computer, desk, every decoration, like that room that I normally record in where if you remember, you, you saw in the background, like my YouTube plaque and you saw the, uh, uh, the, the ham radio podcast art, um, the, the Christmas tree that all got pulled right out or was about to get pulled right out. Um, but right as it happened, this news broke, and it's so funny because I said to my girlfriend the day before, um, you know, today I really need my – or Sunday is when we did it. I said, Sunday, I really just want us to get in there and just be able to do this. Like I I don't want to be selfish, but I hope no big game news drops that's actually going to pull me away from this. And then I joked, and I said, yeah, imagine it's like KOTOR. What the fuck <laughs> what the actual shit man are you kidding me so Knights of the Old Republic reportedly in development outside of EA now you already know what drum I'm gonna beat right now you already know what drum I'm gonna beat right now I'm gonna say it I'm sorry if it sounds repetitive but I'm saying it because at the end of the day what I've learned and I'm not like a vet by oh I guess I kind of am I've been doing this for a while um really I've been I've been at this for almost a decade but what I've learned is if you don't say it yourself, then no one else is going to. So I don't want it to come across like discrediting anyone's work, reporting, news breaking, all that shit. Um, but this was, of course, a story that I had posted completely on my own channel, letting everyone know, hey, uh, Star Wars, Knights of the Republic, when it comes back, it's not going to be by EA, and it is in development. Um, that information came directly from Jason Trier. It was a story he was going to do really nothing with. And um, he said, yeah, you can post it yourself. Uh, go for it, and which was very nice of Jason. Uh, so yeah, I, I I took it and ran, and it's yeah, of course, like you know, I gotta say, I didn't I didn't elaborate on this more in my video because I didn't want it to sound like a a baby. I didn't want to sound like I was crying or complaining or whatever. Because at the end of the day, it's not a big deal. Um, but it's just one of those things where I will say now here on a podcast where we have more long form discussions uh, that yeah, it's a little frustrating, of course, you know, because I see so many people excited and I realize how much. You know, I got to be honest and say, I thought it was just, not just, but I always felt like it was me and my audience that were continuously KOTOR, KOTOR, give me a little more Knights of the Old Republic action, please. Like, I thought that was our thing because we all together love this series so much. And I thought because I was one of the people who had a platform and I talk about this shit all the time, like, I just thought it was, it was honestly just us. To see the news break and, and all the excitement across the games industry uh, yeah, that's why I became a little frustrated thinking to myself, man, like if if someone – if anyone scooped my story because it's not even like – if you don't want to even throw it – oh, Mr. Matty Play said this. It came from Jason Trier. Like, you know, and say what you will about Jason, but he's been very accurate with his reporting. So, yeah, 
little water break there. Kind of frustrating, but, you know, like I said, if I don't say it, no one would have. And so, um, anyway, now into the original story, uh, where multiple sources, including credited Star Wars insider Bespin Bulletin, stated in a podcast that a new installment in the fan-favorite RPG series is in development. Uh, it's been reported that a new KOTOR game has been in the works before. Of course, we're talking about the Cinelinks rumor, which broke like four years ago, saying that it was a reboot slash remake uh, over at Bioware Austin. And then Jason Schreier followed up with an article afterwards saying that that project was on stasis. Um, so since 2017, 2018, kind of been quiet for whatever's happening with our, our fellow knights of the Old Republic. Um, Now, obviously, this all happens in tandem with the excitement that Lucasfilm Games will be licensing Star Wars games to companies outside of EA, um, which I think is why it was kind of just right place, right time to drop this news. I dropped my this exact story prior to uh, uh, prior to EA losing exclusivity, pretty much, Uh, whereas it coming afterwards, it just matches together a lot better. Right. It's a lot more plausible. Um, So anyway. Yeah, this happens in tandem with that, so it makes it a little bit more believable. But uh, KOTOR is one of the titles that has been handed to a developer outside of EA. Um, This happened according to Jason Schreier, as well as a couple of other sources. Uh, Here's what Bespin Bulletin had to say. Amongst my digging, I heard that there is a Knights of the Old Republic project in development somewhere. Uh, I talked to a couple of people and found out also that Jason Schreier said it's not with EA and will never guess who the studio is that's making this game. Uh, On broader plans, the insider said that they heard about a Bounty Hunter game being developed somewhere and that EA was working on a smaller Star Wars game. I'm curious about the smaller Star Wars game from EA because I I, would have defined um, Star Wars Squadrons as that, personally. Um, So I'm very curious to see exactly what that may be and who it's from. Uh, It would be kind of interesting to see, like, are they Ghost Games now? Are they Criterion? Um, Just... Seeing one of their racing game teams make a, a pod racing game, that'd be uh, that'd be kind of interesting. Uh, they said that, I'd, uh, or I'm sorry, Bespin said, I don't know if the Bounty Hunter game is with them or with Ubisoft, but yeah, EA's working on stuff, and there's another unannounced Star Wars game at EA, which I have no idea what it is, but I don't think it's Battlefront 3. So uh, yeah, there is going to be more EA Star Wars games, that's to be assumed, because while they were working on games, this whole deal kind of dissolved, and they explored other options with other developers, and they're getting started with that now, officially. Um, Shinobi602 of Wushu Studios, and like I've mentioned in my videos, friends of the show, or friend of the show, really great guy, uh, corroborated the claims that a new KOTOR is in development. Now, one of the things that is happening with this rumor is that a lot of people are saying you're never going to guess who this developer is. Um, Whereas uh, Shinobi said, it's not as mysterious as you think. It's just not a household name most people are aware of. So in my video, I went to like Spiders. I thought, hey, they want to do Bioware-style games. That might be a good fit. But for those who haven't seen the video, please go check it out. I made a video on some of the crazy rumors circling about Knights of the Old Republic's remake, remaster, reboot, whatever it is. And um, what I found was Aspire. I was saying it wrong. Or Aspire. <laughs> Aspire. <laughs> God almighty. I said it wrong a third time now. Uh, Aspire, which I was calling Asper Media in my entire video. But Aspire um, is a team of devs that ports uh, games to mobile. 
and they happen to have ported uh, Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2 to mobile, their most recent release being KOTOR 2 on mobile devices just in December. Um, so I thought to myself, hmm. So I looked them up, and I found a uh, Russian site that had reported uh, a lot of LinkedIn profiles from Aspire. And I looked, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, they have hired like 10 different uh, uh, like Bioware veterans. Sorry, I got a message at the same time as recording. Um, but they, they have hired like 10 different veterans, longstanding veterans, like eight years, 10 years uh, at Bioware Austin. Now, if you remember what I said just a few minutes ago, Bioware Austin was working on the Knights of the Old Republic reboot prototype. So now you have Aspire hiring these Bioware vets. And when you combine all of that together, there is a AAA RPG in development at Aspire. Hello? I mean, hello? Uh, that, that could not be more obvious, in my opinion. The original speculation for a lot of people was uh, Archetype Entertainment, which, by the way, Shinobi actually shot down himself. But I thought it could have been the case because you have uh, James Olsen, I believe his name is, uh, who is lead designer on Knights of the Old Republic, and now he's the head of the studio at Archetype. And then you have Drew Karpishin, who is lead writer over at Archetype, um, and he was the lead writer on KOTOR, and he did the uh, Revan book. Drew Karpishin is just very talented. Uh, So... Yeah, bringing him on board, you're thinking to yourself, these two could really shepherd out the next Knights of the Old Republic game. Um, But I believe since Shinobi said that's not the case, I would take that. Uh, Not only that, but they're working on apparently a new universe is what they called. Like it's a a sci-fi role-playing game, but it's in a new universe. I thought maybe that could have applied to Knights of the High Republic, but um, that's still Star Wars, which Star Wars inherently isn't a new universe universe of course um so yeah that's where kind of all the uh the news lies um and i'll continue to share information from my sources as i receive them i'll just reiterate what i've been told in the past that number one uh, as of a, a number of weeks ago development is going smoothly and um and and there hasn't been any hiccups uh which is great given the fact that the first time they tried to reboot or whatever they're doing it was put on stasis so development continues on just fine um, the other thing that I was told is it's possible it's a whole kind of uh, new approach to the Knights of series, so to speak, um, as in maybe it's their own approach with Knights of the High Republic. Now, when I said that, a lot of people were like, I'm going to get sick, man. Knights of the High Republic, the like, High Republic sucks. I am six chapters in, so this is a very early opinion, but I'm six chapters into Knights, uh, into Light of the Jedi, the, the, the first High Republic book. And I really dig it. I, I really do dig it. I, I dig its its characters so far. Um, there's kind of this cataclysmic event happening right now in the book. And um, I I want to say now I know the force power that Carrick was talking about that's kind of brought into, um, into High Republic, which definitely was something pretty significant in KOTOR. I didn't think it would be this, though. Uh, so I'm going to have to keep reading and find out if it's what I think it is. Um, but as it stands... Right now, I'm really enjoying it. So I know it's a difference between a book where I think Star Wars has, you know, I read the Leia book. I've read a couple of comics. Like I read the Captain Phasma comic. uh, And I feel like it's been relatively good. 
or, or, not across the board entirely, but I feel like it's been pretty consistently solid at the very minimum. Uh, so I know there's a difference between the books and the games and the movies, and some people are just worried of, of how the, 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 the movies and games will be handled uh, due to the handling of the sequel trilogy and uh, just how Disney's approaches to creating Star Wars. But I don't know. I look at... Um, I look at like the Mandalorian where you just put it in some really capable hands and let them do something with it and, and kind of go hands off. I will say as much as I enjoyed season two of the Mandalorian, I'm excited about it. I kind of didn't like how, and this is not going to spoil anything. I didn't like how they started to bring familiar faces in just to say the least. I, I just, I want to, I'm tired of everyone leaning into this fucking circle jerk of, of all the same characters in this same set of movies I would love to just have it be the Mandalorian doing his thing. Um, it is exciting who they brought in, yeah, but um, it definitely is one of those things where um, I would love to just see them develop the character and leave it as is, which is why I think the Knights of the Old Republic is so great is because it's so freaking separated from that. It's thousands of years ago. You literally could not possibly ever, ever, ever bring a... a anyone i don't want to even name names because i don't want to spoil mandalorian for anyone but you could not bring anyone from those sets of movies at any point in time uh and now the high republic gets a little bit closer for those who don't know it's about 200 years before the prequels um depending on when in the high republic era this game could be set i don't know um but it's still close enough it's in spitting distance right where i'm like oh, are they gonna try something i don't know but uh, i really hope not um so that's my only personal concern right now from what I've seen of the high Republic. I actually kind of dig it. Uh, but that's what I was told is that, um, you can, uh, maybe expect that it'll be different, but that's on that. That's one of those things that, that, uh, it could be a new take on the old Republic or the high Republic. I was suggested it's going to likely be high Republic, but, um, time will tell on that. We can, we can fact check that later on. Cause you know me, like I said, I'm letting everyone know multiple times about the original story I broke. And if, these sources are correct, which they have been correct in the past, um, then I do imagine that um, I will be reminding you all again of my victory. Um, no, but seriously, I'm very excited about this. Um, that, that That's probably not a surprise to any of you out there uh, that Maddie is excited about something coming back with this franchise. Uh, I think it's been long overdue in all seriousness, though. I think it's been long, long, long overdue. Um, I feel like the fan demanding has been there. Uh, clearly they, they've been tinkering cause there's the, the movie trilogy that's reportedly in development. And then Kathleen Kennedy was like, yeah, we're looking into that. And, um, I know a lot of people don't like Kathleen Kennedy, but still, regardless, I know she still has some type of power at Disney where her saying something like, yeah, we looked into that. And, uh, right now we don't know where it's going to fall. It shows that they're interested to me. That's all I need to know. It shows they're interested. So there's definitely a lot there, but yeah, like I said, to, to just uh, quickly reiterate, I was told, uh, development's going smoothly. And we could expect an announcement this year. Uh, that's what I was told. An, an announcement can come this year. It just really depends on how COVID impacts development. So provided things continue to ease up, which I am crossing my fingers, like I think all of us are, that they do. Um, so long as it continues to ease up and we stay safe, then we could expect to see, uh, or not even expect to, we, we will see this game this year. Um, but if COVID does impact it, which there is a, good chance it will um then we won't be seeing this game this year and i mean it depends on the weight right like for example the ubisoft star wars game is exciting because i like massive and i'm curious to see what they do with it in almost a morbid curiosity you know are you gonna make that looter shooter that live service looter shooter 
know, I kind of like the idea of the division, but it's Star Wars. That doesn't sound too bad to me. I got to be real. Uh, but, you know, of course, the first game out of this licensing deal being lo- a looter shooter live service game definitely wouldn't be an encouraging first step. Uh, so what I do worry about is with the whole KOTOR uh, reboot happening potentially is that they announce it way ahead of time. Kind of like with the Indiana Jones thing. But I know Star Wars does it differently, right? They post a little title card and they're like, Ahsoka, the Bad Batch, we're doing this, we're doing that. And, um, you know, I, I like things just because I think I'm a gamer. I like things when they're closer. Um, I don't need to know about it four years ahead of time. Uh, maybe one, that's about it. But, yeah, anything more than that becomes a little uh, a little too much for me. Uh, just trying to make sure I've, I've covered everything here with the new Knights of the Old Republic. I guess what would I, what would I want to see? Um, changed combat for sure. I feel like um, that's the part that has really held KOTOR back the most. I think, and I'm biased here, but I think the storytelling has aged very well in both 1 and 2. Uh, 1's a classic, but 2 has some really neutral, gray moments um, that you just you don't see in Star Wars. And that's all really embodied by Kreia, who is a phenomenally written character. Um, and so... I feel like that part's fine, but the combat is what would really need some changing. And if Aspire is actually making this game like I believe they are, then they have a combat designer. Um, let me look it up, and we can read it to you all here. We Why am I speaking in, in plurals when it's just me? All right, let's see here. They got combat designer. Let's see what this says. Uh, are you passionate about action combat and have a love for RPGs? This is a um, right here. This is a job listing on Aspire combat designer. Reporting to the lead combat designer, the combat designer will collaborate with uh, leadership and other designers to create engaging encounters in a rich and immersive world. The ideal candidate has experience defining combat roles and crafting AI behaviors to build interesting enemies and bosses. You will be responsible for working with the team to develop characters and enemies, seeing development from concept to final implementation. This role is highly collaborative, where attention to detail and an understanding of how animation effects and audio all come together is essential. So it says the essential functions are collaborate with a interdisciplinary team members to prototype, build, and iterate on combat, work on art, animation, engineering, and QA to create interesting enemy abilities, and behaviors uh, explore combat rules for enemies to build interesting encounters that player uh, that challenge the player's skill and strategy document and design tools metrics processes and features to build engaging combat and they do say uh, or i'm sorry content not combat uh, preferred qualifications three plus years in triple a development in combat or encounter design on at least one triple a game familiarity with rpg systems and mechanics Experience with Unreal Engine 4, Behavior Trees, and AI Blackboard. Um, Extensive knowledge of combat mechanics and an opinion on what makes them fun, which I'm sure all of us have. Uh, But yeah, as you can see here, uh, this is a job listing for combat designer on Aspire. So whatever they are developing, it is an action combat system, and I think KOTOR really needs that. If KOTOR... Oh my god, man. If that that game had action combat on top of its writing... You think I don't talk about... You think I talk about it enough now. Mm. Man, oh man. So yeah, that's one thing I'd want to see change. Uh, I'd be very curious who is composing for this game. Because Jeremy Soule originally handled all the all the KOTOR soundtracks. Uh, actually, did he do uh, KOTOR 2? Hold on. Who made... I'm pretty sure he did. KOTOR 2 soundtrack. 
I think it was Jeremy Soule. It was Mark Grisky. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean, Mark, yeah, that's actually, no, this is a phenomenal soundtrack, too. I would like to see Mark come back as well because Jeremy Soule is obviously out of the industry now. Uh, completely faded away after accusations. Uh, so, yeah, get Mark back, man. I mean, uh, it says uh, he did uh, the composing for Marvel Heroes, Knights of the Old Republic 2, Sith Lords, and Star Wars The Old Republic. Yeah, yeah, if they can get anyone back, get him, because the Old Republic soundtrack is phenomenal, too. I was just recently playing that. Uh, so that'd be great. Uh, it's just the writing, you know, that's the hardest part to replicate. Um when you look at who worked on KOTOR 2, you had like Tim Kaine, Leonard Boyarsky, uh, Chris Avalon during his prime uh, before he had got booted out of the industry. Um, when you had KOTOR 1, you had Bioware in their prime, and then you had Drew Karpishin leading the charge. So they've had some really talented writers over on that team. I don't know enough about, I think her name is Courtney. Pardon me. I don't know enough about her to comment on her writing abilities. But yeah, it is one of those things where there was some supreme talent with companies that were just in their golden eras writing some amazing Star Wars content. So that is the other part I do worry about a little bit. I had someone comment on my video saying like, you know, Cyberpunk kind of killed my excitement for games. Like, I do. am I wrong for being worried? And I'm like, I don't think you're wrong for being worried. Like, I'm excited that my childhood might be coming back. That doesn't necessarily mean I think it's going to be good. I think uh, everyone's worry is 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 totally fair, especially with Aspire. No offense to them. Um, they do a great job with the ports, but there's a difference between porting and making a full game on your own on a AAA level at that. That's a huge, huge leap. Um, so we'll see if they're making it, which I believe they are, how they handle it. I'll be posting some of this information on my Twitter, too, because some people don't watch all the videos like right now. I refresh the page. My KOTOR video is at 22k views, which I'm I'm perfectly happy with. Um, but you know, that's definitely not like everyone who could have seen it. So um, we'll we'll go ahead and cycle back some of that information so that people can stay up to date on it. Because um, you know that's the thing. I said uh, was it last week or the week? I've said it recently. Where when it comes to KOTOR, like I want to be the guy, man. I want to be the person who's leading the charge on the discussion and. And, uh, and and the news, and I want to be the KOTOR guy because that is me, man. Like, I embody this game. <laughs> so, uh, and I don't mean that in, like, an ego way. Just I, I, I love talking about it is what I'm saying. And I want to be as a part of that community as humanly possible. Um, so, yeah, if it's Aspire, um, we'll have to analyze some of their talent. Uh, I'll keep an eye on things. I will continue to tap into my sources and see if there is any updates. They are probably going to get sick of me very fast. Um, some tests for them, and I'll let everyone know when if this happens. Some tests for them will be some Nintendo-related announcements I was informed of. Now, I'm not saying that of like, ooh, I know something you don't know. I just don't want to put them out there in case um, that also ends up being false on top of uh, the other ones. But they have told me information for three years and they have not been incorrect. So yeah, like, uh, the, uh what, what they told me about? There's, there's a ton of, ton of things I could go back and dig up here, but, um, I'll cycle that back around with our next episode. Um, just to make sure what is shared is okay. But yeah, definitely a lot of happenings on PlayStation's end. Um, especially with the console release cycle. That was, that was a major one. Uh, I was I was tipped off about Fable, um, just a, a ton of stuff, man. There is there is a lot there that um, let's see if there's anything else here. Actually, I can find 
just scrolling a little bit here. Uh, it might take me a little bit. That's why I was like, maybe I shouldn't do this mid podcast, but I figured, you know, like, why should you have to take my word at it? Of course, now we know it's two of the things I mentioned are, are legit. Um, I was tipped off about, um, uh, Starfield as well. So that'll be another test, you know, Starfield coming at the end of the year, uh, apparently is, is pretty much green lit. Um, we'll see if that holds though, because there's really no pressure to get that out right now. Uh, there really isn't. I was tipped off about Disney plus as well on game pass being, being thrown in there. So yeah, a lot of things that they have told me that ended up being true. So I trust them and, uh, feel free to do what you will with the information I have provided. Um, with that, let's, uh, let's move on to our next bit of news here where, wow, you can see the difference of how much, like I wanted to talk about KOTOR versus how much I want to talk about cyberpunk, uh, Hitman three though. So Hitman three is doing really well, way better than I actually expected. Uh, this information, I haven't listed any of my sources here. So the first article came from IGN second article, which was for KOTOR came from video games, Chronicle. And then this one is from GamesIndustry.biz. Uh, it says Hitman three recoups project costs in under a week. Uh, so it's already profitable. IO Interactive has announced uh, the stealth game launched last week and immediately shot to the top of UK charts and has recouped its development costs in under seven days. Uh, we've been really happy with the Hitman 3 journey, says CEO Hakan Abrak. It's been a labor of love between our fans and everyone at the studio. As the developer and publisher, we are immensely proud that we can say Hitman 3 is already profitable. We have recouped the total project cost in less than a week. That puts us in a really good place and allows us to confidently move forward with our ambitious plans for future projects. Uh, Hitman 3 is the first full game in the series that was self-published by the studio. And Abrak tells GamesIndustry.biz that keeping um, marketing and PR close to the development team has been a huge benefit. We've also been um, we've been able to create a game that our char- our characters wow we've been able to create a game that our players will love and bring it to them in the most direct way possible. Developed and published by IOI, he tells us. Having that focus early on helped ke- uh, keep us on a path. Um, that will, uh, we all believed in everyone at the studio was behind the vision for the game and they know the hitman universe better than anyone. Uh, that combination makes us very effective as a publisher because we have our creative development teams working closely in publishing and marketing, uh, throughout the entire project. We need that collaboration because we wanted to create a quality product, which by the way, it shows. We demand at each other uh, that our games are handcrafted, meticulously detailed, and unique. At this point, we'd be doing our community a disservice if we delivered anything less than that. They're used to us setting a really high bar for quality and memorable experiences. So we keep that mentality at the front of our mind, and not only for Hitman, but for our future projects. So second time they're mentioning that uh, for quality, and then they talk about this putting them in a really good place and allowing them to confidently move forward with their ambitious plans for future projects. So, yeah, for those who don't know, IO Interactive was underneath uh, Warner Bros., I want to say, or Square Enix. Um, one of those two. I apologize for not knowing that. Um, but they were tied for a while. Now they're free, and their first attempt at self-publishing was a huge success, which is awesome to see. Uh, Hitman 3 is phenomenal from top to bottom. I will talk about that in a little bit, but what this really truly does impact is, of course, James Bond, and I'm excited to see what they do with that. Now, I recently bought, I got to look over my shoulder here, so sorry if the audio changes. I recently bought Everything or Nothing, 
I bought Nightfire and I bought um I can't see the name right now, but it's like James Bond 007. Is it like double or is it double or nothing? I hold on. This is gonna bother me because it's the only game that doesn't have like James, it doesn't have 007 attached to it. James Bond games. Uh, it is called. Hold on, I'm looking at this picture now. Agent Under Fire. I love the box art for Agent Under Fire. I think it's so cool. But what's interesting is James Bond has more shooting. Hitman's three shooting wasn't great because you're kind of walking around and meticulously planning people's deaths instead of just shooting everyone. So it'll be very interesting to see how they handle that end of things. But uh, for the time being now, I'm just excited that they're doing well. And that means that all the money that's now going to their pocket is pure profit for this game. So week one, they already met all the development costs, so they will continue to stay afloat. That's very good. And now from here, it is pure profit, which means that a lot of people are about to make a lot of money, and that can go back into DLC for Hitman 3, which they already said they will be doing. Um, they talked a little bit about going back to Hitman 1 and 2's maps and kind of recreating them with what is happening with 3, uh, outside of engine changes, it seems. So I'm very excited to see how they update these games and what they plan on doing, uh, adding more escalation contracts and all that stuff. So a lot of longevity and replayability. For those of you who have not seen my Hitman 3 review, who have not heard me talk about it, let me say it now this game is the best bang for your buck you will probably see this year it is insane um the amount of replayability just in the base game before you even go back to one and two which you have to buy or right now as i record this is the 29th so just the patrons are going to hear this but it went up until the 30th uh if you wanted to when you bought hitman 3 on um the epic game store you'd get the hitman one maps and there would be an eight uh 80 discount i believe it was for hitman 2's maps so and I'm just saying, man, like, they did episodic content for the first two games. Or no, second one was a full release. The first game, though, did episodic, and they just updated the shit out of that map. And let's just say that uh, Sapienza is its own game. So getting that for free, alongside a bunch of other maps, uh, alongside Hitman 3, really good deal. Really, really good deal. Hitman 3 has so much bang for your buck. And even if you just buy the base game and keep replaying that like I've been doing, um, going back to Hitman 1 and 2, when you feel like buying those maps... Uh, would be well worth it, especially because all the the upgrades work retroactively. So it's not like you're playing three different games. Um, whatever's in Hitman 3's engine will work in Hitman 2 and 1. So, for example, if uh, in Hitman 3, you know, you're able to, like, take someone out and there's a mirror. Uh, if someone's looking in the mirror, they will see you. Uh, and that happens now where it didn't previously in, like, Hitman 1. So pretty cool stuff like that has been incorporated. And that's good because if you go back to, say, Hitman 1, you don't have to think differently. It's all kind of continuous. You don't have to think, oh, well, in this game, I can choke this person out here because um, they're not going to see me in the mirror. It's like having that continuity, really good stuff. But yeah, Hitman 3, well, well, well worth your look if you're into stealth games, if you're into sandbox-style games, if you're into just creative takedowns, maybe you like a little Dishonored. Um, Just the way you can set things up. Uh, and you have to think things through and learn patterns. Um, and you can feel, you can feel the actual progression. You know, and by that I mean the, the starting points that you unlock. Because when you complete levels, your mastery goes up. And so you can unlock, you know, now I'm going to start off as a waiter here instead of just Agent 47. And so you have a disguise and you're a little bit closer to the target. And so that changes their pattern. Because now instead of by the time you get to maybe that restaurant, they're halfway to some new room. You're actually way closer where you can cut them off. And maybe start an assassination quicker than usual. 
So that type of stuff is great. If you're not into that stuff, um, they have mission stories. So you can kind of just follow uh, pretty much what the game tells you to do. And this is where some of the more wild, wacky kills happen. Uh, but you just follow them step by step. The game sort of walks you through it and boom, that target is dead. And uh, some wild stuff happens, and it helps build the universe and the story and the emotions of some of the characters in Hitman 3, which I appreciated because there's cutscenes in this game now compared to the kind of art-style, cartoony stuff they did in the previous games, uh, and it kind of calls your attention a little bit more. Carrick had said that to me, and I think that was a really good way of putting it. It, it demands your attention more because it's actually seeing like Agent 47 talking to other characters um, and, and developing them a little bit. Not the highlight. You're going to be playing for the gameplay, but it's, it's cool that it's there. So yeah, Hitman 3 doing really well. Way better than I thought. Uh, That's the other thing. I mean, stealth games are really rare nowadays. And uh, that upsets me because, you know, I'm trying to even think the last time I played one. Because you get, because what's happening is you're seeing open world games just absorb it all, right? They're doing it all. Uh, For what it's worth, I think Cyberpunk is low-key a really good stealth game. I really liked playing that game silently. Like, doing uh, quick hacks and, and... short-circuiting enemies from a mile out and having crit damage because of my build and some of the perks I have plus uh, an attachment and like my optics or whatever. Hell yeah, that was awesome. So you're starting to see open world games get stealth gameplay better. And so having just a stealth game isn't working. You need more beyond that. In this case with Hitman, it's the creativity, it's the patterns, it's the mastery, it's the replayability. With something like Dishonored, it's the karma, it's the choices, um, it's the two storylines. So as you can see, these games need more. You cannot just make pure stealth anymore. Um, so something like a Thief, yo, I should go back to Thief. That game, I remember hating that game. I should go back and see what is good with that game. Like, I remember looking at the art style and thinking to myself, this is Dishonored if I wasn't just supernaturally killing everybody. And that kind of sounds awesome. You're just breaking in, stealing stuff. Like, the game looked so good. I remember, I probably watched that Thief demo from E3 uh, uh, at least a dozen times. I I was so excited for that game. And, I mean, that was back when I, like, played everything to completion. And I do now. I'm still pretty obsessive about it. I think I'm a little more lenient, but back then, holy crap, like the fact that I dropped it back then, that must be just telling me something now, Maddie. don't go back, you don't got the time for that, and you don't need that in your life, but yeah, Hitman 3 is doing well, hopefully we see more stealth games, and now we move on to our final bit of news, which is, of course, Microsoft, let me get a sip of water first, and then uh, we will hop right into it. So, Microsoft did their uh, earnings report for the fiscal year 2021 Q2, uh, which was the uh, last number of months in the year. And what we have learned, which people have long denied for, I just, I don't get it. I'm sorry, I don't mean to start this off like aggressive, but my God, dude, like people just don't, don't respect anything Xbox does, I feel at this point. (laughs) By that, I mean, they bought Bethesda. That clearly shows Xbox's divisions doing something for Microsoft. That they're like, hey, you're going to spend $7.5 billion on this acquisition. Clearly, Xbox's division is doing something. But people are like, oh, no, they're, they're a small division of Microsoft. Are they the major moneymaker? No. But calling them small, I, I never really understood because maybe it's just the PR that got to me. But they never approached things like they were small. Doing something like Game Pass isn't small, especially when that's going to lead to it just being an app on a smart TV. Imagine a day... 
I'm looking at my dresser right now. It's coated in consoles, and I love that. I love consoles. Man, I got my GameCube over on my left. I got my PS2. I love consoles, okay? But there is going to be a day where you may only need a controller. You turn on your TV. You've got your Game Pass Smart TV app. You fire that up. Your controller connects. You can stream through xCloud to your TV. You do not need a console, but you can play on your TV, right? That is that is crazy to think about. So I don't know when you're kind of paving the way to something like that, where gaming will become way more accessible <laughs> to the point where I'm thinking like, you know, everyone's on this stock craze right now. And I'm thinking, I think I'm going to buy some Microsoft stock. I feel like, you know, right now they're like 200 a pop. I'm thinking, Hmm, I might, um, I might look into that by the way, not a financial advisor at all. I know bare minimum of stocks. I got to make that clear, but it's something I've thought about for a while with game pass and, and how Xbox is doing better. Um, if I were ever to do these stocks, um, I would probably do it with, with companies I'm familiar with within gaming just to see how the profits work. Because um, I so many creative friends of mine, I didn't realize, do stocks. And um, it just looks like the typical buy low, sell high. And, and if you pay attention to products and you're like, this will do well, you might actually end up making money. Like, I don't know. It's not easy, but it sounds easy, <laughs> says everyone about stocks as they proceed to lose cash. Uh, but anyway... Yeah, like I was saying, uh, a lot of people were insisting that Xbox is a small division of Microsoft, but these numbers, these numbers do not say that is the case, at least to me. I'll let you, of course, decide for yourself, but I think we can all agree on this. I'm going to pull up some extra stats now uh, just to have on the side um, because there will be more to add on to uh, what we are looking at here through this GameSpot article. So let's keep going back a little bit here. All right, so GameSpot made an article titled Microsoft Made Enough Profit in the Past Three Months. This is not a year. It's not multiple years. Past three months. Now, this is Microsoft as a whole. They made enough profit, one more time, in the past three months to pay for Bethesda's acquisition twice. Holy fuck. Okay. What is happening here? Uh, so the numbers pretty much popped out. And, you know, I'm not like a, a big numbers guy, but they were they were pretty eye-popping to me personally. Um, so, number one, Xbox content services and revenue has increased by 40%. Xbox hardware revenue is up by 86%. $2 billion has been accrued in revenue through third-party titles. There are now 18 million Game Pass subscribers, which is 3 million more than they were when they acquired Bethesda. So they're having a million-a-month ratio right now, and they said that that's been the case since May. And 100 million live users on a monthly basis. Now, does that mean all of them are gold? No. But well, the, the big number here is $2 billion revenue, through third-party titles, which was $5 billion in total from games. Now, some of this has been increased, of course, because of the console launch. There is that to account for. Do not get me wrong here. But, but, this is a shit ton of money. And it absolutely makes sense why those rumors are floating around that Microsoft is going to be acquiring someone else. People who I would personally keep my eye on right now, or studios I would keep my eye on right now, are Gearbox. Um, I would keep my eye on Sega and I would keep my eye on Capcom. I think a lot of these companies are willing to sell. 
Um, because what you're seeing with Microsoft, and I'm, I'm talking specifically Microsoft, what you're seeing with Microsoft is games that are going on Game Pass for added exposure and um, the ability to safely create and make what you want with the financial backing of like a $1.5 trillion company. It almost feels like you can't fail. So hopefully that doesn't lead to complacency, but a lot of companies are going to approach Microsoft. Those are the three companies I would say keep an eye out for. Uh, For me, I would definitely say Gearbox makes a good amount of sense. Um, But yeah, point being is this discussion is going to naturally shift into Bethesda games and what's happening with them. And... Of course, uh, I think if you're making this much money from Xbox as a division, you're investing in it more, and you're going to continue to invest in it through Game Pass acquisitions, through studio acquisitions, to bolster everything you've got to offer. I just look at it and think to myself, there's no way this can go exclusive on PlayStation. Microsoft does not, and previously did not, but Xbox now in this case, does not need PlayStation. They don't. You cannot look at this money that they are making, that they are generating throughout the last three months and go, eh, nah, I think we need that PlayStation money. So for those who don't know, when a copy of, say, a Xbox-owned IP, like we'll say Fallout, let's say that's published, uh, new Fallout games published, um, Microsoft would get a cut even if you bought a PlayStation copy. So the real question is, where does Microsoft, if they care about this, make more? Do they make more? through the publishing earnings of a PlayStation copy being purchased? Or do they make more by bringing everyone into, as Phil Spencer likes to call it, their ecosystem and bringing them into the PC, the Game Pass, the Xbox, and getting all the money there? And with Game Pass growing and Game Pass becoming more accessible, locking this shit down is huge. There is also the uh, one thing worth considering, which is does someone want to spend $70 or they want to spend $15 a month? Especially when Microsoft's buying everything. Uh, I just look at it and think to myself, I don't know how you could really think um, these games are going to stay with PlayStation. Uh, just my two cents. I, I, I just, I, to me, I've been a believer that it'll be exclusive from the start. Um, I get why some people are like, exclusives are bad, but I don't know. When I look at something like Bethesda, I think they need Xbox. A lot more than folks are willing to admit. Their best stuff came out when they were working with Xbox on an exclusive capacity. It wasn't being owned by Xbox, but when you look at Oblivion, Skyrim, because the the Xbox version of Skyrim, let's be real, was way better than the PlayStation version, Uh, Fallout 3, I mean, it speaks for itself. I don't think I need to go further. Morrowind, it speaks for itself. Bethesda was at their best with Xbox. I'm sorry, I think Xbox is smart if they lock Bethesda down. Uh, At least Bethesda Game Studios. Um, you know, the rest of the team, like Arcane, I think they're like the best developer right now underneath Zenimax as it stands in the terms of consistency and quality and delivery and communication. We'll see if any of that gets tarnished by Deathloop, uh, which apparently is headed up by some of the people who worked on Wolfenstein Youngblood, but we will see over time with that. Um, but yeah, right now I think Xbox is in a really good position. They are going to continue to invest. Uh, they're going to continue to shock people. And it's only a matter of time until some of these games start to roll. Like, I would not be surprised if they roll out a fall of Forza, Halo, and Starfield. That would be fucking sick. 
That would be sick. And some people may think I'm a little biased because I run the Xbox show. A lot of people like our show with me and Carrick because we're not Xbox fanboys. We are fans of Xbox just like we are fans of PlayStation. I love what PlayStation's doing with their exclusives, man. It's working. Keep pumping those things out. Um, And so they're sticking to their game plan. PlayStation doesn't have to react, man. They're ahead of the race. I would love to see PlayStation go out and grab someone. Get a studio under their belt. Go buy Blue Point Games, man. I want to see PlayStation get aggressive back. Uh, because And they will. If Microsoft nabs another studio and then PlayStation responds, then you know it's on. Then you know these companies are out for blood. And they're like, we're going to absorb everyone until there's just no one left in the middle. <laughs> the Venn diagram will disappear, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm excited just because I feel like um, we're... I've, I've, I'm excited Xbox's potential, right? I feel, at least right now, the Bethesda deal makes sense. I feel a Sega deal also makes sense. Sega's like something I want because if I look at what Xbox needs, you know, when I mention Gearbox, I feel like that's just sensible because you have... I just don't think Gearbox is doing as well outside of Borderlands. I mean, really, look at the games they've self-published. They self-published Godfall, which tanked. Homeworld, which I don't think that has done that well. Um, you just got Borderlands. So I feel like now they're trying to pull out from take two they're on their own and it's not really working well i feel like they may end up being one but the reality here is that while you can get borderlands that doesn't answer something microsoft needs and that's japanese support you get a sega that's the japanese support that xbox desperately needs and that would be that would be more damaging blow to sony than losing bethesda because sega's got yakuza sega's got persona Sega, Sega's got a ton of, I think, did they do the Sakura Wars game? I mean, if, if you get Atlas, which is underneath Sega, that's a number of Japanese-style games coming to Xbox. I just feel like if I'm them, that's who you got to go for and pay. You know, of course there's Sonic, and it's going to be, it, it would probably be more money than what they paid for Bethesda, in my in my opinion, um, just because you have Sonic in the bunch, and that's a movie now, and that movie did well. A lot of people liked it. Uh, so, man... I don't know. I feel like if I'm them, you go for the, the JRPGs. Because I was looking. I've been building up my Xbox 360 collection. I actually saw one patron question. I try not to look. But I saw one uh, that was asking about a, a particular uh, JRPG for the 360. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. But long story short, I've been building up my 360 collection. And I've been looking at some of the JRPGs they had exclusively. Dude. There were some good ones. I made a video talking about, and for some reason, YouTube has it like hidden on my page. Like if you're just looking at my homepage, you will not see it. But if you go into my videos, you'll find it. So that probably means the video's buried and it explains why it only hit like 12K views and then literally just died. It just, it suddenly died. It's one of the rare times. Like I don't scapegoat YouTube 24 seven like most people do. Uh, Cause I know sometimes like it's just on me not making appealing content. Uh, but some people are always like, it's the algorithm, it's this, it's that. And yeah, those play factors, but like at the end of the day, it's some, it's most of the time on us. Uh, or a lot of times, I should, not, I should not say most of the time. YouTube does fuck up a lot. Uh, but in this case, it really was on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, like Lost Odyssey, Blue Dragon, Operation Darkness. Um, there's just Naruto the Broken Bond. Like they had exclusive Naruto games from Ubisoft. That is fucking sick, dude. Uh, so for me personally, man, I would love to see Xbox go out and get aggressive like that. That would to be be a more like Bethesda was exciting because I thought immediately of the days where I was in love with them, man. Like you could not move me off that mountain. Obviously, I'm beyond that. Even if they start to make their best stuff, 
it'll be great to start loving Bethesda again like I once did, but obviously not with the blinders on and all that shit. Um, but when it comes to Bethesda, man, it was just excitement because that was when they were at their best working with Microsoft, where a Sega would be like, fuck yeah, that's the answer. That is what you want. That rounds you out. That makes you more relevant globally. I don't know if Bethesda really has that. You have a, to- uh, a Tango Gameworks, and that's really the only Japanese studio underneath them um, when it comes to the Bethesda deal. So just a little bit of thoughts there, but um, we have a video on the channel by the time you are listening to this publicly, so not much more I can add for y'all there. So let's get into the Patreon questions. I'm impressed. I'm actually uh, we're, we're lasting pretty long here. I'm not even trying to meander either. I thought this would be a lot quicker. All right, let's uh, let's get the Discord up here. Sorry, I thought I had it up, but I did not. Um, let's fire this Discord up and see what we've got. First, a drink of water. All right. Straw Hat Ninja is our first patron to write in. You can all write in by signing up over at patreon.com slash plays, where you can get early access and be a part of our show through the Discord. Uh, what's funny is I see... Uh, Straw Hat Ninja looks like, let me click on his name just to make sure. That is Elisa from Trails of Cold Steel. All right, that's his profile picture. Uh, Hey, guys, just wondering if any of you have heard of or played Residents of Fate, also called End of Eternity. I chose to get a 360 over a PS3, so I was scraping up any JRPG they released, and this was one that I really enjoyed. I saw the game is now on Steam, and I wanted to give it a try and see if it holds up. So, this is what I was talking about just a few minutes ago. This is the question. I actually just bought Residents of Fate for my 360. I've been building up my collection. I'm going to do kind of an unboxing collection show-off video uh, for all of you out there. Um, just, you know, I bought an Xbox in 2021. Here's why kind of thing. Uh, actually, Spawn Wave inspired me with the content. Um, and I'm going to I'm gonna um, talk to him about that and see what he thinks. Because I got the, uh, the R2-D2 style 360. So I'm really excited to unbox that. It's sitting in a box right next to me, funny enough. Uh, I just want to save that thrill for when we're uh, watching, when you're all watching and, and go through some of the games I got. Because I got a ton of them. You know, I don't want to go through all of them and spoil it here. But Residents of Fate was one of them. Uh, so it's really funny that you bring this one up. Uh, I thought it looked cool. For those who don't know, it's this gun-based JRPG with, like, tactic-style gameplay. It's not like a typical turn-based JRPG. It's It's got tactics um, where, like, you'll run across a row. Like, you'll be able to pick an attack, and you'll run a row, and you'll hit anyone within that row. Uh, so it looks really interesting, though. I don't know enough about it. I, I was just on a nice shopping spree. I'm going to be real with all of you. Uh, these games are, like, 15 20 bucks a pop, and I was like, boom, 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 just going for it, you know, because... I love game collecting. It's one of my favorite hobbies, and uh, I have I have not rebuilt the 360 collection I had. I've done a really good job with my PS2 collection. I'm kind of satisfied with that now. Maybe once conventions start up, I'll start digging into that. But my 360 and my PS3 collection, they're lacking because that was the generation where I had $0 to my name. I made like nothing from YouTube, and so I had to get very creative with trade-ins. What I would do is I would like buy games. I would I would buy them used at that. So I'd have to wait for trade-ins. I would beat them as quickly as possible. Not rushing them, but like I just I had so much fucking free time. So I'd beat them within the week and I'd go back to GameStop and I'd return them and just tell them I didn't like it. That's what I do every time. I I fucking rigged GameStop so bad. So bad. Because they had a system where when you returned used games, um, you could say it was broken, I didn't like it, uh, or it's not what I wanted. And me and my friends realized that and I'm like, why don't we just every week go into GameStop? I just recycled. $90 worth of credit every 
week. And I mean, the guys who, who worked there hated us. Every time we came in, they fucking stared us down. We'd, we'd be there for like an hour just picking out games and being like, do we get this? Do we get that? It was a good time, man. It was, it was, I was, I was making the most of my money, man. I, I mean, I had to do what I had to do. I had to play my games, but I had zero cash to my name. Uh, so yeah, during the 360 and PS3 era, I traded in a ton of my games to get next gen stuff, which was the Xbox one and PS4. I have a good PS4 collection. My Xbox one collections barren outside of, uh, Halo and uh, I'm going to start to collect Xbox One games because I feel like with Game Pass, that might start to phase out some of that shit. Uh, like, I saw Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen physical for Xbox One is like 100 bucks, just because, like, no one's got it. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. Uh, but, yeah, I, uh, I want to try out Residents of Fate, so I have that on my uh, collection soon. Uh, and we'll be sharing more Straw Hat Ninja, but it looks cool from what I watched. Um, I just did a little bit of blind buying at times. Like, I found a game called the... Oh man, what was it? The it was like an army game, third person army game. Let me uh, let me look at my my purchases here. Uh, I think it was called the out. Yeah, that was what it was. The outfit. Yeah, um, I pl- I played the outfit and uh, or I I bought the outfit and that was another one. All right, HR Odes writes in and says, "What games would you play during? Yes, during class, if any in any of y'all school? Uh, okay." So I was a mastermind, and I, uh, I I did a ROM of Pokemon on my Android. I remember, oh, dude, I remember Study Hall because, like, I would sometimes grind in Study Hall and just straight up finish all my homework so I could go home and play games. Like, that's what I'd always do. I remember that those are my favorite school days. You, you know a game you're excited for is coming out that day. So during my English class, I'd be doing the math homework I just got. Um, and that, that fingers crossed moment of as the teacher's wrapping up in the last five minutes, like, Oh, please don't hand us homework today. And you like walk home like, yes, only one piece of homework tonight. Um, so yeah, for me, uh, I would grind things out, man, just so I could play those games, uh, when I got home. But when I, um, when I was in school and I felt like doing a little bit of gaming, um, I would on my Android play a, a ROM of like Pokemon Blue, and I actually beat the whole game. <laughs> I just kept replaying. I played Pokemon Blue a shit ton during my junior year of high school, or uh, yeah, yeah, it was junior year, I think, junior or sophomore year. Um, especially study hall because study hall sometimes I would grind out my work depending on the day, but most times I would just sit there and play Pokemon, and and I played tons of Game Boy games. So that was kind of my go-to um, during class itself. Um, it was not like college. I remember one college class, whenever we were told we would have a movie, I would bring my Vita. I specifically remember playing hotline Miami and then stopping because pressing the buttons, the Vita was really like squishy. It was like, so like you'd hear me moving and pressing triggers and shit. And I was like, this is too loud. Like someone's going to say something, even if like we were just watching a movie and no one gave a shit. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not a great student to model yourself after. If I'm honest, definitely had some growing up to do. Well, I shouldn't say growing up. Like, I just, you know, had to prioritize my studies a little bit more. What games did you skip class, full days of class to play, whether it be it just simply came out or you remember playing that uh, rather than in class? Uh, So, HR Odes. God be real with you, man. I had, uh, they called it senioritis. I don't know if that's like a popular term, but I had senioritis big time in high school uh not as bad as one of my friends but uh i I skipped class a lot 
in high school, um, my senior year. Uh, not a responsible choice at all. Um, I do kind of regret it because I remember having a, a moment where um, my teacher called me out because I came in and he was just like, where the fuck have you been? And I had no answer because I was an idiot. That was it. I was a stupid fucking high school kid. And I remember calling me out and I kind of just, you know, he, he was like, what the, like, dude, come on. Um, and that was exactly what a teacher should have done. Put me right on the spot. I, I questioned myself. I realized I didn't have an answer. And then as a person, I realized I got to grow up a little bit here. And um, that was about third through the school year. Um, I realized, you know, I got to really double down. And that was that was one of my best scholastic runs. I was like an A student. And um, I, you know, despite what I said about me playing my Vita at uh, during a college movie, um, I was a good student in college, too. I was, uh, you know, when I apply myself, I am like an A, B student. It's just that I I did not like school at all. I hated it. I got out as soon as I simply could um, just because I personally um, uh, wanted just to, to move on to the next chapter. And this was it. I loved what I did already. And I just wanted to get to that full-time position. So once again, thank you to all of you who have helped make that possible and continue to do so uh, through your support. But yeah, in high school, bad senioritis. So HROs, I got to say, man, what game didn't I skip for? <laughs> uh, I skipped for DMC Devil May Cry. I skipped for Dishonored 2. Uh, those are the two that really stick out for me. My mom, uh, used to have, uh, you know, her and I agreed on, we called them hooky days. Um, so, you know, you would, you would, you would skip out on school one day and we'd plan it out so that, you know, it was like once a quarter. That's how the schools are segmented or or the, the, uh, the sections of the school year were segmented here in the U S um, you know, at least in high school, like you, so I'd have one sick, uh, one, one day I could take off a quarter. And so, uh, I'd plan that carefully. I'd pick very wisely. And uh, sometimes I just wanted a mental health day. <laughs> That's the thing. I remember me alone having a big debate on that. He was like, nope, stay in school. And I'm like, take your mental health days, dude. I was like, I <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We both, me alone turned out great. So I, I feel like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but you know, I think we've done well enough where uh, I guess both routes work. Um, but yeah, for me, I, you know, I, I, I took off like a day, a quarter. Um, and so I remember one time I stayed home and played Bioshock two in its entirety. Um, I played God of war three. I remember being really disappointed cause I loved God of war three, but it was six hours long and I beat it so fast, so fast. Like I started gaming at nine or 10 in the morning and before the school day was normally even over. Um, it was just, it was done. That was the weird thing about, about, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, staying home from school and playing games at times is because <laughs> it's because I, I don't know why it was just some like feeling I got, like it felt good when you're playing during the day and no one was on because you like, you knew, yeah, like this is my extra time. This is my time. It just felt good. And then once it, it hit where people are starting to get home, the advantage wasn't yours, and I just didn't enjoy it as much after that. Like, I felt wrong because I had to explain why I stayed home and all that shit. Um, but, yeah, really good question, HR Odes. I, I, uh, I appreciate them. Oh, and you actually added in what was your favorite class slash subject through time in school. Um, uh, for me, it was writing. I always loved writing, and that was always the class I excelled in. I, I Even when I was not a great student um, in the terms of applying myself, writing came very naturally to me. And so I think that's kind of translated here into things I want to do in my future, but also uh, my career now. 
when I even like jot scripts, notes, I speak, you know, because writing kind of fuels your vocabulary. Um, and I try to expand that all the time. Yeah, I would say for me, writing. So, you know, that'd be it. Zach writes in, been playing Resident Evil 2 Remake, and it got me thinking about how good the RE engine is, or at least seems to be. I have pretty much no experience with game engines, so I actually have no idea, says Zach. Just, not just visually, but the RE engine seems to perform well across a wide spectrum of genres. DMC5, the Resi remakes, and soon, Monster Hunter Rise. With that in mind, what do you guys think is the most impressive game engine around at the moment? As game critics are your judgments about an engine, uh, mostly in reference to visuals and performance, or do you consider functionality and that sort of thing? Okay, best game engine. Hmm. This is actually a. Uh, this is why sometimes it helps to prepare, but at the same time, it, it it gets me to think. Right, I think critically and I think hard. Like, hmm, what what is a game engine that I really like? Hmm. Most impressive. I. I think it's probably, this isn't most impressive, so this is not my answer, but to get my brain going, I will start the conversation by saying I like the creation engine a lot. Um, There's just a level of interactivity with the game world and a DNA. That's the thing. Game engines are like the feelings of video games. Each has a feel. You can feel a dice game because of Frostbite. You can feel a Bethesda game because of creation. And so I think of that feeling I get and what I like most and I just like, honestly, if, if I'm really straightforward, I kind of like the the interactivity and some of like the jankiness of the animations of creation. Like there's something there. It's not quite perfect. And I know you're going to make a near perfect joke, but it's not quite perfect. It's just almost there. But it's like sacrifice for things that I really like creative, different armor and weapons. And uh, like I said, the the being able to pick up any object in the world and Lots of NPCs and quests. Uh, you know, I remember just being fascinated by Skyrim, of course, like many of us were. Uh, so the conversation starts with creation. Um, but I don't know. I I, I think um, I think what Atlas has done with the engine they use for Persona 5 is impressive because um, they, they pretty much created art on screen. Uh, same thing with Arc System. But that kind of boils down to the artists. I don't know uh, if we're talking on a technical level, you know, because some engines specialize in certain things. Like I think uh, the Decima engine, which was used for both Death Stranding and Horizon Zero Dawn is impressive. Uh, Not only because of how beautiful it is and how colorful uh, things look in its engine and, and how big the worlds are in its engine, and how well it runs on its respective consoles. Not really talking about PC here. But what I also really like about it is uh, when you look at Horizon Frozen Wilds, um, when you walk through the snow, they actually have the the memory in the engine uh, can recall your footprints. And that's not easy to do. It's something that's easily forgotten. And so I would say for me personally, Decima maybe on a technical level, one of the more impressive ones. I don't want to steal your answer, Zach, but Resident Evil... Uh, the RE engine is up there, especially because of its flexibility. We'll see how Monster Hunter rises according to what the people have played with the demo. Uh, it seems to be fantastic, so I'm looking forward to that. Although I'm not like a huge Monster Hunter guy, I'm looking for that Monster Hunter game that really, really clicks. God Eater 3 was kind of that. I really dug that one. But, um, you know, it's just like one of those games where I don't stick with for hundreds of hours. Uh, anyway, 
Logan B. I'm sorry, did I answer the second part of your question? Is game critics, are your judgments about an engine mostly in reference to visuals and performance, or do you consider functionality and that sort of thing? Uh, it's a mixture of both, Zach, just so you know. Uh, so if an engine's doing a very specific thing, um, then yeah, I do talk about that on a functionality level. But if it is just like a frostbite where it, it powers the visuals, then you talk about that. Each engine kind of has its own little personality trait, uh, which it's designed to do. All right, sorry. Logan B writes in, Hey, gents, do any of you plan on doing a full-on review of Fallout the Frontier? We'd love to hear your final words on it once you've completed it. So this was prior to everything that transpired, Logan. So um, I understand the, the, the timing of the question, but the answer for that, for me at least, is no. Um, and I know that Carrick and Dustin, I'm pretty confident they're not going to hop in. But yeah, for me, uh, that's a no. I'm not interested in the mod anymore. And I've kind of just moved on from it after my, my news video. You know, it was just one of those things where... You know, let's just talk about what's happened here, deliver the information, take down the preview, and just put it out there for discussion. And so, uh, yeah, that's where I stand on it right now, but I do not plan on doing a full review of it. I will be curious to see other people's reviews and discussions on the content. Uh, but thank you for that. Matt Pat writes in, Hey guys, long time listener and fan of the show. I hope you guys are all doing well. Thank you. My question is a little bit more Star Wars-centric this week, but I was wondering if there was an MMO, what time period would you guys like to see? I am personally of the opinion that I'd like to see something set similar to the Star Wars Galaxy, pre-combat upgrade with the amount of decisions you could make in the terms of what your role was in the community, and maybe incorporate space PvP like Squadrons, but have the time period make take uh, maybe take place either after Return of the Jedi during The Mandalorian, or I'd like to see them try to squeeze a sequel in The Old Republic, um, and give that more of a sandbox feel. Thanks, guys. So, Matt, Pat, all right. I'm out of water, so you're with Dry Matt Maddie now. We're going to see how this goes. Um, you know, the Old Republic is my jam when it comes to MMOs because it's just so storytelling-driven, and I uh, I enjoy just the kind of hotkey combat. It's, it's mindless, um, where ESO clicks with me on a different level because of its ability to kind of accurately mimic its source material of just the Elder Scrolls single-player games, but keep it in an MMO uh, and make it work well. Uh, so if I were to have a optimal Star Wars MMO, what time period would I want to see? I mean, you know that answer, Matt. It'd probably be the Old Republic again. Um, I don't know. I feel like uh, I'm such a a, a old-school MMO fan, right? My most played MMO is RuneScape. I played that with with my friends for five years straight. Seriously, like I stopped it for Kingdom Hearts 2, and that's all I remember in that period of my life. I, I stopped it for like coming over to a friend's house. We played a little bit of his new Xbox 360, maybe a little Call of Duty here and there, but uh, Resident Evil 5. But, dude, it was it was few and far between. I, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, RuneScape was my jam. So I feel like my opinion on MMOs, outside of the old republic and eso is really hard to to uh to wrap around because um i know some people stick with them for thousands of hours and they they just only play mmos because they're so highly replayable i tried final fantasy 14 because uh, my approach to rpgs is is so different from like what would make a good mmo so to be quite sure through you, Matt Pat, I don't know if I have a great answer for your question other than to just answer at the bare minimum a time period which would be something that already exists, which is Star Wars The Old Republic. Billy Mays writes in, Hey, Billy Mays here with a short but thought-provoking question for you all. 
what's a game that you love but then found out it was hated by everyone else did you end up agreeing or changing your view afterwards have a nice weekend everyone oh billy here you go man i love cyberpunk uh and it's not really hated by everyone else because most of the reviews were positive but you know my review and my thoughts have not changed on the game just only on the situation and it's disappointing and it's sad but yeah of course i i really liked cyberpunk uh, I will say, because some people will like look at the headline of my review and go like, this age, well, uh, you know, being sarcastic. Um, I will say the only thing that had not aged well in that review is I said, it's really nice to see a happy ending with this game because I liked it a lot. And a lot of people I talked to liked it a lot. Uh, so for me personally, I would say that was the part that aged poorly. <laughs> uh, but no, I didn't end up changing my view in the case of Cyberpunk. Uh, I stand by my opinion. I think it's one of the best RPGs in its space uh, when it comes to AAA RPGs. Once again, let's run down that list. Fallout 4, Outer Worlds, Witcher 3, uh, Vampire. Vampire, not AAA. But point being is highly developed, interactive RPGs that are not like a Divinity, not like a Wasteland 3. And for me, man, that that game is good. It is good. It just needs a lot of work now. But um, yeah, that would be my answer for you, Billy. Unkempt Talk writes in, all right, Maddie, pressure's on. You told me to follow up my question about the High Republic book, so here it is. What are your thoughts on the book? And to throw a little bonus question in, what would you want to see in a High Republic game? All right, Hawk, I read those chapters just for you, buddy. I was thinking of you the whole time. So High Republic game kind of answered that uh, on what I would want to have changed from combat to, to how I want to keep the music and the story. So I got a little bit ahead of that, but yeah, I would love to see them keep the same composer from KOTOR 2, give it a more action combat. Um, of course, uh, when it comes to the book itself, I gotta say, man, I'm only six chapters deep, which is 40 pages. You know, I read, I read five pages and then I, I just, I was having one of those nights where you, you just can't focus. Um, and that was what was happening to me. I was just very tired and I just ended up going to bed. Uh, but then I, I picked it up and I look Hawk, I'm going to be real with you. I'm not some, some bookie. Okay. I read a decent amount. Now I used to not read really that much. I like reading now. But it's very hard for a book to grab me and make me go, just one more chapter. Just one more chapter. This is one outside of – because I think part of it's I read a lot of self-help books. I just like to expand my mind. And even if I don't need the help, just see what kind of things I could learn to help other people. Um, and so I got to say I really like the book so far. Um, there are people dying, which caught me off guard. Um it moves at a good pace. At first, the first couple of chapters, I'm like, what is the world? I don't get what's happening here. But the first couple of chapters are really crucial because after that, now I'm on chapter six. Um, it's it, it builds it up a lot. And you, you realize that um, uh, it, it paints a good picture is what I'm going to say. And uh, there are some KOTOR references for sure, which I appreciate. Um, right now, at least 40 pages in, I'm digging it. I am I am really enjoying it. I'm going to continue to read it. And if you were asking me, Hawk, because you were curious about buying it, I would say, yeah, buy the digital version on a Kindle or buy the hard book cover one. I, I got hard book because I just read that better. Uh, I feel like I process it better. And like Carrick has said, and I think most of us are aware, uh, you just can receive that information a lot better when you read the, the physical part. Sorry, that's me like slapping my leg. I just dropped my hand on my bare leg here. Still in a bathrobe. Um, but anyway, that's what's going on. When it comes to High Republic, so yeah, give it a uh, give it a look, Hawk. And if you end up reading it a little bit, um, fire away. Let me know what you think of it. Curious to see. 
because uh, a lot of people are like anti-High Republic, and I don't know. I'm not seeing it yet, but 40 pages is not definitive. Steve Wolf writes in. Thank you, Steve, for writing in. What is your favorite palace in Persona 5 Royal other than the new one? Also, do you think we'll get a sequel with the same characters beyond Strikers or is Persona 6 next? All right, Steve. All right, Persona question. Uh, favorite palace is... <sighs> Man, they are some good ones. Um, I'm going to say favorite palace is probably... How do I word this? Hmm. I don't want to spoil whose palace it is. I will say the uh, Pyramid Palace. That's what I'll say. It is the fourth palace in the game. Um, and I think that one is uh, one of the best narrative ones. It has some of the best music. It has uh, really good puzzles and character building elements. Um, I just think that one is phenomenal. I know a lot of people like Palace 7. Uh, a little bit of casino action. Um that one I like, uh, but I just don't like wandering through some of the back hallways and stuff that kind of take you away from the glamour and lights of the casino. But it does remind me of, I think, one of the missions in Sly 1. So I dig it for that. But for me personally, Favorite Palace is, is probably the fourth one outside of, of course, the new one in Royal. So that would be my pick there. Uh, do you think we'll get a sequel to the same characters beyond Strikers or a six next? I think that really depends, Steve, on if they're going to do a Persona fighting game, which I'm pretty confident they're going to, because there's, uh, if you have not yet, uh, it is a long video, so just know this, but I made a video called The Future of Persona. And in that video, um, I I highlighted, um, you know, one part was what games can come out of, of the Persona franchise, whether it be a P3 remake, P4 remake, remaster, fighting games, beat-em-ups, all that stuff. Uh, what's going to come from the Persona franchise? And um, one thing we studied were the fighting games. And this may sound like, ah, forget it. But Persona 4 Arena was a good fighting game. And Persona 4 Arena Ultimax actually had a good story. It really did. And it was a great, like, in the terms of content, it was a great fighter. I really, really like Persona 4 Arena Ultimax. Phenomenal game. Uh, so the fact that a Persona 5 Arena doesn't exist, especially with how good Dragon Ball Fighters looks... I mean, that developer uh, Arc System is built to make a Persona 5 fighting game. So it's only a matter of time, I feel. Uh, I think that'll be the next Persona 5 character thing. But they have promised us Persona 6 is coming sooner than the the, the gap between 4 and 5. Now, do know the gap between 4 and 5 was 9 years. 2008 is when Persona 4 came out. Then you got Golden in 12. And then we got 5 in 2017. So really big gap. And they, they... Look, I, I like Persona 4 with all my heart. I I, I really dig that series uh, and that entry especially. But they, they milked it dry. They did a fighting game. They did a dancing game. you know, And, and they're doing the same approach here. Five got a dancing game. Five's getting strikers. Uh, and I'm really hoping that uh, they do consider a fighting game um, because the, the that would be the good type of more. Because if they kind of do their Arena Ultimax approach, they got three and four characters together. Having... Like Persona 5 Arena something where you've got three, four, fives roster. Fuck. Yeah. Give me that. Uh, but yeah, Persona 6 is probably closer uh, than, than further away. Comparatively speaking to, say, the gap between 4 and 5. But it's still going to be some time. 
And I think that's fine because the bonus stories are nice. Oh, also, I forgot to add in Persona Q2. Uh, that's another spinoff thing. So 5 got spinoffs a lot quicker. Um, and I think... Here's the thing. I I feel like Atlas has to stick with these, these spinoffs for a while before moving on to 6 because you have to give people time to get attached and kind of let the series grow because if you just start growing six and then four years later here's seven and then another four years later here's eight um i think that hurts the series if i'm them i make a persona 3 remake and me and and never and uh and cool dude as well as uh dustin dustin did the editing so it was really just three of us uh did a lot of research and i think there is a very good chance that we see a persona 3 remake and the reason i say that strictly is because number one i know atlas said that to commemorate the 25th anniversary of persona um they had something special that would resonate uh so persona 3 remake would make sense persona 3 is definitely one of the more dated entries in the terms of the franchise now the reason we picked three is because that's where the social elements were introduced so having that remade with the same eyes that like worked on persona 5 would be great um but the other reason is simply because you look at persona 3 dancing the assets are there. You look at Persona 5, you have the main character, Makoto, uh, in Persona 5. Like, his model, he's got animations from the Evoker to calling his Persona. I don't know. You just don't do that. You just don't have all of those assets lying around you do nothing with it. So, I would imagine a reimagined Persona 3 is coming back. Bookmark this and keep me in check. Vault 101 guy writes in. Just got done watching Defining Duke, and I really think Carrick should go off on why he loves Fallout 4 VR so much with its mods. Never heard of anyone playing 1,400 hours of a VR title in my life. Kind of debating on getting it. Um, sadly, he's not here, Vault 101 guy, but I do want to say that uh, I... Yeah, never heard of anyone playing 1,400 hours. Maybe Carrick is stretching it a little bit. He does get excited. I get excited. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I've heard bad things about Fallout 4 VR, which is why I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I would just look up videos online. Uh, Jay Lopez writes in, just asking this question in case you guys didn't bring up Fallout in the Vegas Frontier incident. Uh, I guess this question is for all three of you to get your opinions on the situation. So, uh, Jay Lopez, I already have a whole video uh, dedicated to this topic, um, which, you know, I took a while to make that video because, you know, obviously the sensitive nature of the discussion. Of course, I knew some people would fucking find a way to try to defend some of the shit in there. Um, you know, which whatever, (laughs) whatever, but, uh, yeah, you know, it was one of those things where I, I took a while to, to really, uh, re-record and get the video in a place where I thought it was right. Um, where I thought I confronted it strongly, that type of stuff. So I would say Jay Lopez, just go ahead and check that out, which I imagine if you posted this question here, you may have already done so. Know it all writes in. Would you rather Ghost of Tsushima 2 be set on mainland Japan or remain on Tsushima? I feel like there's more to tell with Jin's story in the Mongol invasion. So what direction do you guys hope they go next in a sequel? Yeah, mainland Japan. I feel like the island of Tsushima is awesome. And um, I don't know if there's more to explore there. <coughs> Pardon me. But I feel like um, Ghost of Tsushima's world was so refreshing. And so to make that bigger and more broad and diverse... I'd like to see what they do in mainland Japan. That would be my answer. As for the direction, um, hmm, more choices. And I know I'm an RPG fan, so some are like, oh, of course. But no, you'll probably know why I'm saying that. More choices. Um, I feel like the game really was set up to be that type of game. 
because uh, of like the ghost play style and whatnot, uh, the 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 samurai play style. I would like to see that reflected in some type of rep bar or or uh, a way that impacts like karma, morality, that type of thing, and um, see how that impacts the game world. I would like to see more impact through my decisions on how I play, um, not just play styles. Natural Calamity writes in, First off, I want to commend Maddie and Carrick. Fantastic job on defining Duke. It is an informative and fun to spend my time listening uh, to you two bring the news and bicker about nothing, as Carrick says, his plethora of strange things. Keep up the good work, you two, and bring Chris Reagan back on for another hour or another two and a half hours of fun. Now, on to the question. First of all, thank you, Natural Calamity. I appreciate you enjoying our content enough, and any of you who listen, uh, enjoying our content enough to listen to our videos to to listen to our our multi-hour podcast and then listen to another multi-hour podcast with us just you know hey thank you so much that i think that's a real real nice thing because you know you get so many hours of me and carrick and then the want more hours of carrick and i uh wow i just did it wrong the first time and then did it right the second time i didn't realize me and carrick carrick and i um but you know to, to want more of that and to have such a positive response and excitement uh is is just really humbling. So thank you. Thank you to all of you who, who gave our show a shot and continue to push it up the ladder. Question one from Natural Calamity. We've been told time and time again by Bethesda, don't get your hopes up for Elder Scrolls 6 coming five years tops. So my question is, will ES6 be next-gen only? Will they lock off most of their fan base, or will they go the sensible route and try to make it work last-gen like Cyberpunk to either crash and burn or prevail like we all want? So, Natural, for this one, I think the answer is simple. ES6 has to be next-gen only. So by next-gen now, we are kind of shifting into current-gen. We're kind of in the cross-gen weird phase, uh, but we're shifting into that next-gen to current-gen where Series X and PS5 are the consoles that Natural is referring to. Um, I think they have to just because they... Todd went on record of saying we aren't doing Elder Scrolls 6 yet because what we want to do needs technology. And I'm sorry, but... (laughs) Then it should have been out during the PS4 and PS... uh, in the Xbox One generation. And so... My guess is if it's going to take another five, six years, that's, that may put us at the half step point. We don't know how these consoles are going to evolve really, uh, where I'm very curious what position that puts Todd and the team in. Um, do they keep pushing it back for the next gen? If there is one, I, I doubt it, but you know, five, six years, uh, you know, the, these consoles usually last like what, seven, seven years, six years. Right. And so, um, imagine that, imagine how that's going to end up. We'll see. Next question from Natural Calamity. Uh, what do you want to be the inciting conflict in Elder Scrolls Six? Something to do with the Thalmor, Dramora coming back to torture Tamriel? Will it be the Sigic Order playing a role? Will it be the Chosen One? Or would you want the Urchin of Streets able to... Oh, man, my computer... Hold on, I just... <laughs> my computer... I hadn't moved the mouse in so long that uh, the screen went black. Um, or will you want to be an Urchin of the Streets uh, able to become who you want? What kind of story do you want from Elder Scrolls Six? Uh, so I've been communicating with some people in the uh, the Elder Scrolls fandom, and uh, someone mentioned I'm going to get the exact term here. Um, someone had mentioned where is it? Because the reason I can't just like summon this knowledge is because it's a weird name that um that that is buried in the Elder Scrolls lore, and I couldn't even Google search it if I wanted to right now. So hold on, we're we're almost there. I'm just searching through my friends list here. 
almost, 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 almost here we are. The Hoonding. Um, so the Hoonding is uh, the Makeway God, spirit of perseverance over infidels, uh, historically materialized whenever the Red Guards need to make way for their people. Um, so it says Hoonding is first known in the first era, by the way, to have represented himself as an avatar. Um, so in the second era during the Tiber Wars, Hoonding was said to have been a sword or a crown or both. So see, it's kind of like a title almost. And I feel like, you know, you are the Dovahkiin, you are the Hoonding. I think that's kind of going to be what it is. It's just a, they might, they might lure a retcon that. Cause I don't, I don't think it's as catchy to say like, you're the Hoonding. Um, but it, it would definitely kind of put you in that special position. I would love if Elder Scrolls kind of went back though to the fresh off the boat uh, approach that they had with Morrowind. I really, really dug that. I, 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 you know, that's one of my favorite parts about the game is that that is truly the blank slate. Like you know, that and I guess the prisoner in Oblivion. But I really think the true blank slate is through and through. Morrowind when you start that off you have complete control complete customization you can go and tinker your own class uh so yeah personally for me inciting conflict I mean I imagine it would be uh the war between the Imperials and the Thalmor and how the uh how Hammerfell and the Red Guards are getting dragged into it uh that seems just based off the lore I know that seems to be the way that the the inciting conflict would at least start I don't know what it develops into beyond that. Uh, I am certainly not a lore nerd when it comes to uh, Elder Scrolls. Um, I'd say I'm more so with Fallout, but I am learning more enough to do this, right? Like normally these are questions I could not answer. I think 100% you have to have the Thalmor involved. I I don't understand how a conflict with the way it was brewing based off lore in Skyrim could happen in Hammerfell if it wasn't involving the Thalmor. Um, did the Dramora come back to torture Tamriel? That's really up to Bethesda how they want to fit that in. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, of course it's going to be those tiers of like godlike character, um, inciting conflict with the, you know, a three-way war. And that's why I always think with the way the lore is with, with Elder Scrolls and Todd saying they needed technology, I think there's going to be huge scaled battles for Elder Scrolls six, whatever they're doing with it. That are like co-op, just like two player co-op in this huge world, something like that. All right, we got a few questions left here. Red Eyes White Wolf writes in this question may be more geared towards Carrick. Oh, boy. But have you guys ever experimented with soundbar slash subwoofer setups um, for your gaming audio? Personally, I got a soundbar and sub with 5.1.2 audio. And the difference it makes when using something like Dolby Atmos is awesome. This is also something I commend Xbox for supporting. While I see PlayStation lacking in support for Atmos, while I think they have their own 3D audio thing for headphones. What are your guys' thoughts on this? So I do have a uh, sound bar. It's a Polk sound bar. Um, I don't have room for the bonus kind of speaker um, to come with it. But yeah, the the sound bar, if you want to have, like, if you don't like headphones, there are sometimes I'm gaming and I don't want to have the headphones on. You kind of want that feeling of surround sound. Uh, to come straight out of your your direction of your TV, um, then soundbars are the way to go. I have a setup for one. Like I said, it's a Polk one, and I dig it big time. I just don't use it a lot because, I mean, most of my family's home, and uh, they're home all the time, and so, ba-boom, you know, loud gaming sounds. Like, my room would just sound like a nuke's going off constantly. So, 
Uh, yeah, sadly, I don't use it enough, but I love it when I can use it, and uh, it's a pretty easy setup. And if I can handle it, all of you out there can handle it. But I can't give a detailed audio breakdown of it, but I will just say that um, this is something that I think a lot of people should look into to really boost up uh, their their gaming setup, especially if you're trying to rock it without headphones for a little bit of time. My fat cock writes in, I want to know your best gaming memory of 2020, not your favorite game, just the moment in a game that stuck with you a month later. I don't know if I can answer this because it would be a major spoiler, but I will just say the third semester in Persona 5 Royal, I will probably never forget because to get a little more detailed, it's a nine day stretch. And in that nine days, there is some really wacky, crazy stuff that happens where I go, what wait what like just a lot of that wait what like so much shit happens so i can't say what it spoils the end of the game and and one of the bigger surprises that happens but those who have played it know i'm talking about and i'll just say generally speaking persona 5 royal third semester uh i'm valen writes in uh good evening fellas i'm gonna be 22 this year and i've been reflecting a lot lately about events that took place in my life, mistakes I've made over the years and how differently I would do things if I go back. So with that being said, uh, my question is, what are some mistakes you made during your YouTube career and what would you change or do differently if you could go back? My question is for anyone who wants to answer. So yeah, I'll happily answer this because um, I don't like to sit here and pretend like I've never made mistakes. And quite frankly, the reason I grew was because of my stakes. Can't speak right now. Mistakes. Uh, I've said before, you know, uh, my content would not be an eighth of what it is now if I didn't get feedback from my audience. And that goes into smaller things like, hey, Maddie, the lighting in your office sucks. You need to change that. Hey, Maddie, the audio in this video sucks. You need to redo that. Um, Just being real with me. And most people put it in a kind manner. Um, That type of feedback goes a long way, but obviously going deeper because it sounds like you're reflecting. Yeah, character stuff, for sure. I I was uh, in in high school, um, and, and when I was just, yeah, high school, really, I was really bitter. I was just a bitter, lonely ass wipe. And uh, I had a lot of fucking growing up to do for sure, man. Like I was, I was, you know, I had a lot of learning to do. I was smart for my age, but I had a lot of learning to do. I was immature. I was bitter. And as I gradually weeded that out of my system, uh, some immaturity still stuck around, which I'm sure some of you have seen on my channel in the past. And I look at things like um, when I fired up the microphone and I talked about how it's disrespectful for Bethesda to be, to be uh, called out for Fallout 4. And uh, not even because like, oh, that's a stupid thing to say about the game and the developer, uh, but more so the immaturity and the the lack of responsibility of just turning on the microphone, not recognizing you had like at the time 200 something thousand subscribers and uh, just screeching into your microphone like an idiot. Like that's immature. Um, and so, yeah, the thing is, is I don't I, you know, I don't run away from my mistakes. I own them up. You know, for me, a mistake was 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 really putting uh, my Fallout the Frontier preview out. I didn't know any of the content uh, entirely uh, that was there. So, yeah, it was an, an honest mistake, of course, but it's still a mistake, but I'll own it. Um, so that's, you know, for me personally, um, one of the mistakes, yeah, that I would go back and, and, and re reorganize would be my approach to the conversation on that Fallout 4 disrespectful thing. Uh, for sure. You know, that's something that uh, is a conversation that was not handled well. I think it could have resonated with some people if I wasn't just such a jackass about it. Um, so, yeah, there are definitely things you can look back on and say, 
hey, I wish I was better. And of course, we all have that. We've all been immature. We've all been insensitive. We've all been bitter at one point or another. For me, I carried my bitterness a lot in high school. I wore it on my shoulders. It was not, it was not good, man. Like I had, I had struggled a lot. Um, and until I really started to get the help I needed and my friends started to lift me up and my family started to lift me up. Um, and I had to have my heart softened a little bit and I had to, you know, when I got on YouTube and sometimes I would do something and I'd get very defensive and I would get blasted because I maybe got the story wrong and I deflect to Bethesda and then I'd have to make another video apologizing like, yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about how you respond to those, right? You're going to, you're no one's perfect. You're going to make a mistake, right? You're going to make your mistakes. So it's about how do you get better after that? How do you respond? So I look at the, you know, when I was 12, 13, I was in high school or going into high school at this point, or was I, that was middle school, um, whatever age it was, I don't know. But when you're in that age range and as I'm growing up till I was about like 16, you know, you're just angry at the world. Um, but if I don't think if I had that chapter of just looking back and being like, who the fuck was that guy? If I don't have that chapter of looking back at that, um, which I, you know, I don't think a lot of people would think of when they look at me now, I think I'm a very nice person. You know, I think of others constantly. Uh, I have a very open heart and I, I speak to, I, I try to help people any way I can. Um, I try to make sure I'm donating to various organizations on a monthly basis uh, when I receive my paychecks. Uh, I, 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 the one thing I regret not doing right now is, and because I don't really feel safe doing it, is being able to like, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for right now? Not fundraise, not participate. Uh, uh, oh my God, what is the term? It's bugging me right now. Like going and doing something, <laughs> I can't believe I have to do this. Doing something like for free out of the kindness of your heart, uh, like charity work. Jesus Christmas. That's the one thing I need to step up. I don't think I do enough charity work for the platform I have. So it's something I'm going to really pursue this year and see what I can organize in the terms of fundraising and, uh, and, and getting more people involved with certain initiatives um, like mental health and all that type of stuff. But like I said, point in case here, is if I don't have that chapter of my life where I can look back and say like, Hey, here I am a, over a decade later, later. And I am, I know I'm a better person. I know I've gotten better. I know I responded to that. You know, it's, it's good that you acknowledge them and you're aware of them. And, and you know that these mistakes or missteps you've made in your life exist. And so I would say, uh, try not to, to let them eat you up. And I would say, uh, go forth in how you respond to the situation um, just because mistakes are going to happen throughout your life. And of course you can, based off your character, uh, lessen the intensity of said mistakes. Um, but yeah, there's, um, there's, there's definitely things that, you know, we can all as humans reflect on. Um, so hopefully you found that helpful. Um, you know, for me personally, would I change or do anything differently? I would love to soften my heart at a younger age. And enjoy my life a little bit more instead of just being so lonely all the time. Um, yeah, for sure. But um, at the same time, if I, I think of it this way, maybe this is just me rationalizing it so that uh, I don't even think it's coping because it's not like I'm sitting here like hanging my head over it. But if I don't experience that that sense of loneliness, then do I love my friends, family, and girlfriend and hold them as closely and dearly today? Um, without that, that chapter of my life, 
I don't I don't know if I do. And I love where I'm at now. So uh, just take it with that, uh, Valen. Hopefully I've helped you in some way, shape, or form. Um, it's my pleasure to try to help out where I can in the best of my abilities. Uh, last question comes in from Panicking Duck. Hey, guys, I'm curious on what y'all's thoughts on Biomutant are. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. Yeah, excited for this one. Uh, it comes out in May. It's going to be a good month. For those who don't know, Biomutant is a kung fu post-apocalyptic RPG with animals. And it's like, yeah, give me more of that random-ass shit. Uh, so I'm excited to see this one. Uh, it looked like it had pretty good customization. I was a little bit worried about the jankiness of the gameplay. Uh, but Biomutant overall looks like a really nice kind of mid-tier RPG that I think can sneak up on some people. So for me personally, yeah, I'll be reviewing it as we get closer. I'll cover it. Um, I did make a video on it that kind of went like mini viral, like a couple hundred thousand views, uh, just talking about like, hey, here's a game you should all check out. Uh, but other than that, um, yeah, not much more thoughts to offer on Biomutant, not to like rush through your question, Duck. It's just, um, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've made videos on it. I'm trying to think, um, have I not said anything on it? I really haven't. Just very excited for that release date. And as it gets closer, we'll we'll highlight it here on the show. We'll talk about it more. Um, but that's it for the Ham Radio Podcast. How long was that? Let's see. Holy shit. Wow. Two hours. I told my mom, I was like, hey, I'll be out in an hour. It's a solo show. Like, I usually don't have much to talk about. But I guess I was feeling chatty today. So uh, with that, it's time for me to sign out. I hope you all enjoyed episode 287 of the Ham Radio Podcast. Um, based off what Valen wrote in, I think let's do the hashtag growth. Um, I would like that. If you got this deep into the show and you wanted to let me know, you can tag me on Twitter at G27Status, use the hashtag growth, and uh, let me know what you thought of the show so I know what episode you're referring to. Uh, With that, though, once again, hope you all enjoyed, and I will catch you in the next episode. Hopefully all three of us will be together. Uh, Stay sexy, stay active. I love you all. Peace.